the dog days of summer on the CU Podcast. This is our 130th one. Wow. Wow. It's July 31st. Tuesday, boy, oh boy. 2018. That's Ian Ferguson. He's excited. He ran through the sprinkler in his front lawn yesterday. Uh, I'm Pat Contry. I wish I, I did. <laughs> I, I, did a, I did a super soaker battle with the pump-up grenade uh, water balloons. I, I love the water balloons that actually look like grenades. Yes. Yeah, those are the best. Those are just fantastic. I don't think you can confuse. I don't think a kid's going to get shot by a cop because how many kids will have a grenade anyway? But uh, those are fun. Uh-huh. Those were always also a little bit thicker balloon rubber. Those sometimes you it actually hurt more if they didn't explode. They hit oh, you. Oh, yeah, no, they, they stung. They'd be like, flop. They, yeah, they, they definitely stung. And uh, they were always made so that if you inflated them, just, if you filled them just right... Uh, they actually had little bumps on the outside. They were a little bit bumpy oh. on the outside. Oh, you're a little bumpy on the outside. Oh, what are we talking about? No Man's Sky. The death, apparently, of MoviePass. Uh, the hoary Switch left Joy-Con with a D-pad. A Sega pop-up book that you know will probably want to marry. Uh, Escape is going for non-political gaming news. Not nudes. That'd be a different topic. Uh, a Pikachu butt plug. And your... Q&A. Ian, we had fun at Comic-Con, didn't we? We had fun. I did, actually. I had fun this year. Well, I said we, but okay. Uh, well, I don't know if you had fun. That would be up to you. I can say that I had fun, yes. Okay, I, so I had, I had, half had us good, had fun at least. I had, I had a good time. Um, the key to having a good time at Comic-Con as I uh, enter my late 30s is to not go as often. Um, I uh, had a lot of fun on Friday with Vani. That was the first day I went was the Friday. We walked around. We had a good time. We were there for most of the day. I think we tapped out about six. Saw all the booths I needed to very early. Um, saw, you know, went... Squid went, Kids? Uh, yep. I always like going there. We chatted, we chatted with Nate for about half an hour. We got, we got to work with them. We got to figure that out. There's something there. Nah, artists like to work on their own, man. <laughs> I... Okay, then I shouldn't have that conversation with him then that he that he seemed okay with. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I well, I mean, work with him in what way? A CU podcast cartridge would be great. What the hell else do you think I meant? I don't know. Take Buy him out? Business? Yeah. Buy him out? <laughs> I, we can sell plastic carts at conventions? No, Ian. That's not what work with someone means. This isn't Shark Tank. I, uh, I, I, like the, I like the playing cards. He does a lot. Actually, he does the playing card stuff. I uh, I got a. Um, if you haven't seen him out there, these are the Nintendo cartridges with arms and legs. Mini Tendo, he calls yeah. them. Um, He's done dozens of designs. It seems at this point. There's they're, a lot. They're they're awesome, and uh, he also loves playing cards. So he does his Let's own see. playing cards. He has a. Um, uh, one of the things that I really like that he does, he has a, what are called sketch studs. They're blank plastic cards and if you buy them from him at a show he'll do a sketch on them so i got one of those this year go to uh squidkidsinc.com this isn't an advertisement but we like his stuff we've bought stuff often for years ian gave me a present i had that giant blue special edition one i think it had one left this year yeah um which i gotta find from the move there's things that now i, I still don't know what they are if you're ever at but, luna we have one of the gold ones on one of our desks at our <laughs> at our wedding all of our centerpieces were um blank mini tendos actually and we ran around the one year that's right we bought a we bought a case of the blank ones and then we ran around at con that year and had various artists do sketches on the blank labels i forget which one was at my table but it was it was really cool a lot of fun anyway so, real, real good dude that's always uh, one of my favorite places to stop every oh, year sure and uh so we had a we had a blast on that saturday um that's or that friday that saturday i i 
I went down, but I spent most of the day hanging out with my friend Adam, who I bumped into. I was outside of the convention for most of that day. I was there for maybe two hours, and then that was it. But I had fun. I was not overloaded. I was not overburdened. Uh, I took it easy. I, I want to say that it seemed like, uh, versus the past five or six years, a more muted Comic-Con. It, there was only a few big announcements. There wasn't any huge event like... The Star Wars Orchestra or any surprise, weird surprises that came up during the event was like, holy shit, we weren't expecting that. There wasn't anything like that. It was just, oh, here's a, here's a trailer for Aquaman. We know that's coming out. Here's a Godzilla trailer. We know, we know that's coming out. Uh, Shazam trailer. We know that's coming out. Actually, Shazam looks pretty cool. So that was really it in terms of like the movie news. It was kind of like strange. There was no Marvel panel. There was yeah. no Star Wars panel or anything. You know, they had their, their Han Solo movie come out. There wasn't any surprise screenings of a movie down the street or anything like that that they usually have. You know what I mean? There wasn't anything like that. It, it, there was less cosplay. I mean, this is just my eyes. There seemed to be like half of the cosplay, if not less than half. There seemed to be less cosplay. Now, that also could be because if you didn't have a pass, they didn't let you near the convention center, which I'm a fan of, by the way, because that keeps the riffraff out. And it means that you can get in and out without getting trampled on. Because otherwise, in past years, you can walk literally up to the front doors if you didn't have a pass. You just couldn't get in. Now you can't get near the front doors if you don't have a pass. Yeah, so um, if you've never been to Comic-Con, the uh, trolley runs right up to basically the front. And then there's a a street where the buses come in. And you can't approach... Basically, the trolley line is the cutoff line. If you don't have a badge, you you can't approach uh, you can't approach the convention uh, center from there. And the sides, the cutoffs are like a block on each side to like the last hotel. It's as you, it's as you cross from the hotels, yeah. they stop you. Um, I I think in terms of the lack of announcements and things like that, I think it's just timing. I don't think that was on purpose. I just think there wasn't a whole lot to announce. Marvel is Marvel is I mean Marvel is basically gagged until. It gets close to... It, you can't say much of anything until after Infinity War. Or, the, you know, uh, whatever Part 2 is called. Sure. Uh, Endgame. That they announced it. Probably Endgame. Oh, did they? Okay. Just like Highlander Endgame in that tradition. Oh, yeah. Good. Um, <laughs> probably the same bodes quality well. <laughs> bodes well. well. I, I drove 45 minutes to see Highlander Endgame in the theater. Very disappointed. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, so, I, they Fucked can't up. say much until then. And... Or until the, until the deal goes through, officially. I mean, it's approved, but the deal has to go uh, uh, through, through, signed, delivered with Fox. Signed, sealed, delivered. And then they announce Fantastic Four, my head explodes. I mean, that's basically how it's going to happen. And then, what, Star Wars is over a year off, right? A year and a half. Yeah, so just not a whole lot to say. Yeah. I, I, and I, I, saw, I saw tons of cosplay, but I, I think part of it was, you're right, I just think it had to do... Well, no, you're right. Vani said she saw less cosplay I saw this less. Year. But I saw, I saw more on 5th this year, so I think part of it was... downtown. Yeah, so I mean, in general, there was quite a bit, but the I think you're right. I think in the convention saw, hall, there wasn't as much. I usually you see like five or six Poison Ivy, or one year, a few years ago, there was like a ton of Poison Ivy, there like 20 of them. I saw maybe one. I saw one Wonder Woman. I saw no storms. There would be years I see like five or six storms every year, you know, and I didn't see that. So I was just, just looking like, oh, okay. You always see the guy in the Silver Surfer paint. That guy was ripped with, you know, yeah. God bless him. But it just seemed like there was less. Well, with Comic-Con, I, I mean, I, I know some people who cosplay, and I should probably ask them. Well, Lane, my coworker, cosplays. And I think for her, um, as she puts it, is comic. There, there's so many other conventions if you want to go cosplay, uh, you know, that aren't nearly as... Comic-Con's just a tough place to do it. 
Sure. Because it's so it's so you're, crowded and so it's so packed. Yeah, you're always bumping into people. Um, it didn't seem like there was as much bumping, at least um, on oh, Saturday. Is usually the busiest day. Usually, when you're in the middle near the like the Marvel and DC stuff, you can't move. Like, especially when there's people that are signing autographs, people just stop and just fucking like. Oh, I walked in Saturday, got short of breath, and was like, I don't know yeah. how I'm gonna make it through uh, this. And, it was still bad on Saturday for me. And as another aside for that, um, there were less, there were like far less trade paperbacks than there were in previous years. So there was one whole booth that always had trade paperbacks. Whenever Stan Lee would sign and show up there or whatever, they had no trade paperbacks this year. They just had newer comics. And then the other people that had them had less. So a lot less of the fun digging. I bought a couple. I looked for, Frank, you should have got Dr. Fate like eight years ago. Where we, every year in a row, it's out of print. I couldn't find it. And it's like 90 bucks on Amazon. I told you. I don't know what you're waiting for. It was like 40% off every year. Torpedo Comics didn't have it. So I was looking for Frank for Dr. Fate for the, the Golden Age. And then I looked around for... Amazing Fantasy 15, which is really the only expensive old comic that I wish to have, which is 1962, the first appearance of Spider-Man before Amazing, before Amazing Spidey number one, which actually isn't worth that much in comparison. Not at all. Um, so Amazing Fantasy 15 goes up in value seemingly about 30% every year. And the reason why it's on my list is because I was this close to buying it on eBay back in 2000 and... 2008 or so before I decided to move out here and back then a 3.5 condition which is like yeah good good plus costs like only like $3,000 $4,000 $4,000 that's like 10 years ago 11 years ago now that 3.5 is worth in Pat's finger air quotes about you know $25,000 $22,000 so how does it go up that much every year well i don't know because i'm not a i'm not i don't follow comic price trends i just know that when a movie comes out people want it they buy it but i discovered something interesting over the weekend which now you know it, this happens with video games but with comic books i think it's much more visible because there's a lot less of these rare comics versus or hard, versus rare games but I, there was about six or seven amazing fantasy 15s throughout the the comic section which is like 15 percent of the comic-con floor it's not a huge amount. Um, six or seven, ranging from one was like a 2.5, there was a 3, 3.5, 4, and then there was like a gorgeous 5.5 uh, there that they wanted like $52,000 for or whatever. So I was looking for the 3.0 range, maybe 3.5, maybe 4.0 if I was lucky and felt like blowing more pack cash than I really have. So I priced them all out between different dealers, and no one was buying them the whole weekend, which was interesting. So it's like the earthbound thing. Um, because while Amazing Fantasy 15 is hard to find, it's not the rarest old vintage comic by a long shot. It's not. There's no. still a lot of them out there, relatively speaking. But I think one had sold throughout the weekend, and then I found out at the end of the weekend, a booth that had two of them for sale, the proprietor there bought two more that weekend. So I talked to him about it. This is like Sunday afternoon at like 3, so it's wrapping up. And he straight up says, well, yeah, I own 10 of these Amazing Fantasy 15s. And I straight up said, yeah. well, I, and I straight up said, what do you what do you do with them? He even he didn't even struggle. He said, yeah, I'm hoarding them. He he used the hoard word. He said, I'm the H word. He said, I'm hoarding them. And then he had a younger guy, a nice guy, I spoke to for about 20 minutes about you know comic uh, book prices versus like video game prices and what's going on in that market. Trying to educate him and show that hey, I know a little bit about this stuff. I showed him a certain NES guy book I had on me. He liked it. And just comparing the ins and outs of the of the collecting hobbies. But he the younger guy goes, the old guy. 
Oh, what do you, what do you even say? It's like, yeah, what do you feel like in the future? What do you do with them? Yeah, I mean, I'll trade, I'll trade all 10 in for like a 9.0 or something like that. It's just like, okay, sure. So then I got to thinking about, and this is going to come up later with, with the pinball machines, about what happens when all these guys have all these old comics. And I found out that about 10, 11 years ago when the housing crash happened, people that were investing in, in, in real estate before, I was told, started buying up comic books. So if you want to look at the prices historically, they probably start shifting around 2008, really sliding up a lot. That would make a lot of sense. People with a lot of money getting into it, older people. So I don't have to wait 30 years till someone's dead or a bunch of people are dead for the, these fantasy 15s come back on the market and the price just comes a little lower. Because I think at this point, it's almost like what would happen with Steam events where they were just being traded and sold between sellers. And people out in the marketplace actually want one are not were priced out and we're not the ones dictating the prices as much as people just thinking, how much more can I make? Because I was hearing sure. stories that people were buying Amazing Fantasy 15s and flipping them even within a day just to make whatever, a couple thousand on them. Oh, it's, it's 2,000 bucks, whatever. I bought it for, for 20, I'll sell it for 22. I made some money. Yeah, and, I mean, 2,000 bucks and that, that, and that con- But if that constantly happens between the seller community, that's a huge artificial inflation on the price. Yeah. So, and, so that's why I'm kind of depressed about that. Yeah, no, it sucks. It sucks. But it's also not surprising. Also, you have to look at the, I think the resurgence in comics in general probably happened around 2008, too. Um, I mean, you look at when Comic-Con started to get huge again, and granted, a lot of that was due to pop culture and things like that, but that's... And so you helped, for sure. Yeah, the Marvel comic, you know, the, the MCU definitely helped. Um, you know, Comic-Con became a thing that you couldn't get into around, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010. I would say it started to get really difficult. 2008 was my first one. Once you get to, like, 2011, then it's like, okay, now it's getting tough. Right. To get a ticket. So, now, I, you're, now you're seeing a popularity great. surge in all things comic and pop culture related around that time. Sure. Walking Dead, things like that, all just blow up at the same time. Uh, the Hobbit movies get announced again, things like that, right around that time. Yeah, two thousand. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that hit Harry Potter, things like that, all right. hit at the same time. And now that stuff's gone. Now you think about it, even though Amazon's doing their billion dollar Lord of the Rings series, that's going to be interesting. So, speaking of series, Ian, um, pre-orders for a certain SNES guidebook are going to be up on UltimateSNES.com. So it's oh a, really? It's the pre. <laughs> You're excited. So it's a pre-Kickstarter, <laughs> type, type, type. pre-Kickstarter pre-orders. So it's the same style book. There's going to be two available covers for now. Uh, you're going to have the, the North American version. It's not up right now, but by the time they're listening to it, it is, Ian. So don't be shocked. But there's going to be a PAL version cover and a North American cover for our European friends. Oh, this website is great. Thanks, Ian. I like it. I just said it's not going to be up until you time. You should visit, to it. too. <laughs> and I'll give you a couple bucks off because early adopters. So, ultimatesnes.com. It's going to kickstart in the fall, though, if you want to wait uh, for, the, for the official kickstarter uh, for that. All right, Ian. Such design. <laughs> Ian, you know, you know the No Man's Sky has been a topic on this podcast for a few different times and Yay! various reasons and people went after you for yep. not understanding what was going on and no i did understand what was going on they just didn't like the fact that i liked the game that you still like even though it was semi-falsely advertised beforehand well yeah but now ian there's been a few different major updates and now the game is in a totally different spot than when it was first released like what was that two years ago two years almost two years ago exactly it was released uh uh early october in 2016 jeez that seems like a lifetime ago yep that's when a certain NES guidebook came out. 
Well, hello. That's that's almost like how you mark time now for me in my life. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> so, um, No Man's Sky um, is a game created by Hello Games, uh, a developer located in the UK, and it's a space exploration game, uh, essentially. Uh, came out two years ago, was hyped heavily in its lead-up. As Sony backed it. They're yes. like, this is going to be our big PS4 game. Sony backed it. Um, it's essentially It was essentially being created by an indie studio. The team was no larger than uh, 20 individuals at its highest point. Um, they had a... The, the head of the game, uh, the head of development, Sean Murray, um, was very enthusiastic about it. Had a lot of things that he wanted to put in the game. And the basic idea was you had this universe that was almost infinite um in reality it's about 18 quintillion planets that there are somewhere in this galaxy that 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 no man's sky created procedurally generated and um the goal the idea of the game was you could fly around basically seamlessly within a star system you could warp to other star systems and the idea was discovery. You could land, scan various plants, flora, fauna that would show up, name them. Those would be procedurally generated. Um, a lot of times they would look different. And even if they didn't look entirely different than something else you'd see before, they would have different stats, perhaps contain different elements for mining. Um, you know, di- different little things in their biology and their makeup. Uh, the previews that were shown for no man's sky were not exactly what was delivered um it showed you know giant beasts um that you know brontosaurus sized beasts yeah brontosaurus sized beasts um you know graphic style was totally different ringed planets uh things of that nature um that weren't in the final product and more there were probably missing a a bunch of stuff like like how being able to, to pilot freighters and stuff was that yeah things like that well they a lot of things were inferred to just from what was in the uh, the video so better there was a massive disappointment with this game and then what was it what was it what was it the coverage within a month or two 90 percent of the fan base had abandoned it something like something massive like that where people were done with it already so i had i had been looking forward to the game for quite some time and had put myself on media blackout and had somehow missed most of these promises um, I got the game. I enjoyed it. It was relaxing. Uh, just flying around to the different planets, checking them out, seeing what was going to be on them. Um, yeah, the 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 uh, the fauna was uh, a bit disappointing. Some of them would definitely look like weird Lego stuff pieced together. Yeah. Um, not all of it was as bad as they made it out to be. Certainly, the stuff that you would see online was picked specifically to look bad. Um, we know how the internet works. They want the worst to look as bad as possible when people are complaining about it. Um, so no, not everything looked exactly um, as, as shitty as it was shown. But it was definitely not what was promised. But the games definitely still had a fairly solid foundation. And there were things that I enjoyed about it and other people liked about it. There was a, a feeling of loneliness. There was also a feeling of calm. And the basic engine and the basic idea was solid. So... Hello Games kind of disappeared, um, but they never stopped working on the game. They just stayed out of the media spotlight, and they kept working on it. And they did a number of expansions. Um, one was the Foundation expansion. 
which allowed base building. Yeah. If you found you could find little bases on the planets, and with the foundation expansion, it allowed you to claim these bases and then start building off on them. Um, and there were other expansions as well that added vehicles um, and uh, added little graphical upgrades and things like this. And it all culminated in over the year. Uh, they added a bunch of um, they did a bunch of like alternate reality games uh, in the outside world that you know the fan base got caught up in because there was there was a fan base that grew and continued to play over those two years. And it all culminated in what was called No Man's Sky Next, which was the big update that was released this past Tuesday. One point five. Yep. So, One. Th- so this to many people is the. The prom is finally delivered two years later what they thought this game was probably going to be like or wanted it to be like. So this is huge, and um, and the, the the response to it has been pretty much uh, nothing but positive. So what do we have in this update, Ian, that's really important? Uh, everything. Um, everything! Yeah. You have freighters that you can pilot. You, Yay! You, uh, so you can have up to four ships in them at once. You have... Uh, mission boards everywhere you have uh, the sp- I mean real so, multiplayer right uh, well I'll get to it so yeah um, so I don't know where some of these um, enhancements may have come in because I didn't play much of the expansions after foundation which was base building okay so let's just go from what's new since vanilla if you were one of those people who fell off um, base building Improved space combat. Combat. Um, multiplayer. That's huge. That one alone. Uh, warp gates. So you can easily transfer back to previous uh, star systems that you've visited uh, without needing to actually pilot back to them. Okay. Um, the warp gates will let you jump to various bases you're building. Infinite base building, meaning you don't need to find a base before you can build a base. You can just drop a base computer uh, and start building a base computer. Character customizer. Character customization. Um, you can play in third person now in both uh, uh, outside the ship and in the ship. Okay. Um, enhanced photo mode, which is great, but not that important. Um New late uh, new weapons. Uh, so, so there's also a mining the- beam. There's also a a, 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 a a terraforming beam. So you can now terraform areas on the planets. Um, Missions and structure. It's like according to this, there's more structure to the beginning of the game. Oh yeah, there's more structure to the beginning of the game. So there's a whole new more, tutorial. More mission types. There's a ton more mission types. You can wow. archaeology mission type. That's pretty cool. You can uh, freighter attack, feeding, farming, photography mission, defense, yeah. photography, farming, um, freighter commanding. You can now uh, get. You can now add frigates to your um, freighters and send them out on missions. I mean, the difference is night and day. Um, I mean, Graphical it's, enhancements. It's essentially a... If, if you played the first one and then are jumping into this, it's... 1.5 makes sense. It's it's like when someone calls a game, well, it's not exactly a sequel, but it's a 1.5. That's what this is. This is a the, true the, 1.5. This is almost a sequel. If, if you did not play the... The incremental um, upgrades this is almost a sequel uh, and bit, even people who played the upgrades are like no this is 
This is almost a sequel. They regenerated the entire galaxy when Next started. Vast oceans of visually improved bodies of water with new continental terrain types. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm just scrolling through the 1.5. Yeah. All the new stuff. This is holy shit. Underwater. It, over, like, overhauled yeah. the UI. Yeah, the UI is a lot better. You can now, uh, there's like quick access to all sorts of shit. Players with freighters can summon any of their personal starship fleet at any time. Yep. Maintenance and repair interactions. Visual overhaul. Yeah, I can Space summon- station marketplace. Oh, oh yeah, the space, if Jesus Christ. That wasn't there before? Uh, well, there was market, there was like a, a simple trade center, but now you, you can dock at space stations and there's uh, alien marketplaces um, there's way more aliens on the space stations. You can buy some stuff. There's that you like, need and, yeah, there's a new resources. Cur- there's a new currency that you get in different ways than yeah. just your money for blueprints and stuff like that. Bartering. Find and excavate buried ruins with the terrain manipulator to unearth locked ancient tre- treasures. So that, that so it's more chase items, things like so. That. Huh. So instead of just like getting. Um, Instead of just like finding, you know, uh, elements and stuff on the the ground, it'll like sometimes point you. You to go under. You can go you, underground. Well, there's cave systems, but it'll also like you can scan and it'll point things underground, and then you use your excavator beam to like dig out and find like treasure buried underground. Were there mines before in previous releases or not? Um, there were there were cave systems, there but were. they're a lot more. They're way more complicated now. Um, looks like uh, creature movements are now more natural, intelligent. AI is improved. Oh, the creatures look a lot better, a lot cooler. Holy shit. So um, this- when you scan, you get so much more information out of what you scan now. Tells you what the secondary and, and, and uh, tells you like, yeah, it, it's it's nuts. I've, Real-time missions, scheduled missions, multiplayer missions, overhaul tutorial, new mission types, envoy mission, guild envoy missions. Now they have guilds. Yeah, oh yeah, I don't, I, I don't even, I'm not even part of a guild yet. Players can own multiple bases, hundreds of new base parts. Joint base building, that's a cool idea. Oh, so my, you work yeah. with a partner to build a base? Yeah, uh, my buddy and I were, uh, uh, we, we, found a, we found a planet and built a two-story wooden shack the other day just for kicks for like an hour. Crafting and resources. Oh, yeah, there's, like, refining of materials now. Graphics and planet generations all improve. There's a laundry list. I mean, this is insane. It's nuts. Space stations and buildings. New space station marketplace. New style for stairs. Teleporters different. Explorations, controls and combat. Uh, Air... I've put in close to 20 hours on it since last Tuesday. Stability fixes. Okay. So in a week, I've put so almost this 20 is, hours back in. So if they came out with this game originally like this, with yeah. all this shit, this would have been game of the year probably. Like, oh, we would have had... Away. I, it's still a very particular type of game. There's almost no action. I mean, you can, you can definitely... Com- space ge- combat though, right? You can gear it towards that if you want. Um, but I, I, I mean... I, I try to stay out of combat. Yes, you can definitely. You can definitely. If you want to, you can play mostly space combat if you want, or you can play mostly you, just. Can you be like? A, can you be like a space pirate? You can try to rip people off and blow them up. And yeah, I haven't up. figured out how to yet, but you can totally take on other frigates and freighters and stuff like so that can. and loot them. But yeah, I just haven't done that. Okay, so you can do that. Yeah, so you can, you can still play how you want. You can yep. you can just f- farm out somewhere with your crew and just raise. Like, I don't know, can you like raise f- fruits and veggies or something? I don't know. There is farming. I haven't done okay. any farming yet. So they so now they're to the point where, again, this is what people wanted originally. Maybe not to this extent, but they wanted a lot of these foundational pieces to be there. Now, now they're there. So. Two years later, will people go back and buy this fresh? And will they? They're at least going to recapture the people. Hopefully, that 
abandoned it two years ago. They're like, what the hell? This isn't what I wanted. But I wonder if they can do a fresh sort of repush to get new people to buy. So there's a lot of time and resources going into basically crafting what is like a semi-sequel it's at been, this point. It's been one of the top-selling games on Steam so for it has the past come back. three weeks. Okay. Uh, they released it on Xbox One. I don't know... How it's doing on Xbox One, because it's the first release on Xbox it? One, they're charging almost full price for it. I, okay. think, it, I think it's like 50 But on Steam, how much is it on Steam? Uh, it's, I think... Save 50% off, so they're, they're selling this. They're selling it on Steam. I think it's like 30 I think it's 25 or 30 which is insane for what you get. And they've already announced update 1.51 and 1.52. Oh, those are already out. Mini, those are bug fixes. Little bug fixes. But they announced that they're... they're it's 30 bucks on Steam, so it's half price. And then it's 30 bucks digitally on PS4 right now. Until the but, August 6th. But used copies at, like, Luna, 20 bucks, And at, uh, I think GameStop right now is even doing used copies. And I think for a while they were doing new copies at thought, 20 bucks. Too. I thought I saw, uh, I think, uh, Destin from IGN, I thought he tweeted something saying that it was on clearance or on sale at Walmart for, like, 10 they have a bunch laying around that. Yeah. So if you want to get it in for cheap on the console, it's much easier. Yeah, and this, like this bucks, update is free. So if you go find a copy of this for 10 fucking bucks, you get this game for... Yeah, it's you're in. I mean, that, for, that's for, it. For us PC folks, you have until August 6th to get it for 30 bucks, which probably still seems like a good deal because now, now it's fulfilling the promise that a lot of us were like, okay, this is going to be the game that we'll never get away from. Like Ian's, You might never see Ian again. This yeah. might be it. Like I said, 20 hours in the past week I've already put back into this. So, uh, yeah, it, it's wonderful to see. Um, it, 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 it's great if you have a mind for role-playing, too, because the stories really kind of write themselves in your head. Sure. Um, you know, it was fun. I, I took off the other day uh, on my uh, off a planet and landed in... I took off to a new star system, and there was a distress call, and I went and took out the uh, space pirates that were attacking, and uh, I was told to, you know, come land in that freighter, and I did, and the pilot wanted nothing to do with... And this is actually what happened. Uh, the pilot told me that uh, he decided he wanted nothing to do with piloting a freighter anymore and would prefer to just live a life of leisure as a second command and gave me the freighter. So freighters... This was that, an NPC or a human? NPC. Okay. So uh, freighters that normally cost a shitload, I got a freighter for free. You're a captain of, of, of a freighter now. I'm a captain of a freighter. You have with a crew a, yet? You have a crew? Yeah, it's a little, little, little frogman. Little frogman. Uh, <laughs> Gek. Gek, I think, is what they're called uh yeah because uh yeah he uh he he didn't want the stress anymore he was too stressed out they stress you taking on that responsibility in that in that role that's nah, pretty nice it's pretty nice to pretty nice. be the, you sit in your chair I have, a, I have a six ship garage but i only have one ship well, is it cross play between console and no, there's, damn there's, it there's, i could have no... i could have i could have shacked up with ian's, ian's yeah, freighter but, there's no cross play but how the the multiplayer works is great um so when you start you can either go into your game which loads your last save or you can join someone else's game which basically just dumps you in their star system whatever mm -hmm. star system they're exploring and it shows you where they are and you can talk if you want or you can just fly up to them but once you're in their system that's usually, you know, however far away from where you were, you know, where you start. So, but that gives you a jump point to that. So by playing with more people, it's shooting you all over the system. So the more people you play with, the more places you can pop around to gotcha. in the, the universe via your warp gates. So it helps okay. you cover distance oh. real quick. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. 
and we'll see who gets to the middle of the galaxy. That's that was the secret thing. I don't know what that means. I think people have already probably done that. I I can't I can't focus on a main storyline in the game. I'm just doing too much shit. So, anyways, it's great. So it's cool. I'm glad that Sean Murray. Well, he apologized looked like for not having this game originally where it was when it was supposed to come out. But his his little plucky team has worked on it, and now it's something that you know. Ian's going to become addicted to you. you never see him again. Oh, they're updating it weekly with new missions from here on out. And there you go. Yep. Uh, let's talk about the Switch Joy-Con, left Joy-Cons, being produced by Hori, the name you can trust. These are scheduled to come out locally here in September. I believe they came out in Japan first. Yes. Uh, but I think, because we were arguing whether or not we actually talked about it in the podcast. Well, I don't remember. We, we might not have. It. I know we looked at we looked the at article, it. though. Did it get past the, the patenting filter, pre-podcast filter? But now, uh, coming in September, these are officially licensed, obviously. Left Joy-Cons for handheld mode only that have a real D-pad, a real directional connected pad, not this bullshit four circular button thing that makes it impossible to, to, to play Sly Spy for example. So they're going to retail for $25. You're going to have two types to choose from, a, a reddish Super Mario one and a darkish with gold uh, little trim uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild version. So um, what to know about this is uh, obviously I have not touched the D-pad. I would assume the D-pad is not too rough or too mushy and that it's a functional D-pad. It looks like a traditional D-pad. It's not a circle around it. It's a, it's a D-pad. That you can rock back and forth. Um, so there's going to be no Bluetooth feature on this. No gyro sensor. No HD rumble. Okay? No battery. And no uh, SLSR buttons. One's on the top. So Oh, there's no buttons either? No. You're just getting the D-pad, it looks like, and you're getting just a single... You're getting a single trigger on the top. I guess not the ones behind. Huh. Right? Weird. So this is a budget solution to wanting a d-pad right right but i guess you're going to have to decide before you buy this you know what games will this be useful for obviously arcade style games old platformer games right nintendo super nintendo but if you wanted to play something like breath of the wild or something newer you might need those extra buttons behind i don't know you might need you might want the rumble for a game like that or you can detect those little what the hell those things you find in breath of the wild that are all over the place uh, the Korok seeds. Yeah, things like that. I played the game, I know. I put 25 hours in the Breath of the Wild <laughs> uh, before I get back to the rest of my life. But um, So on the surface, I think this is a fine idea as long as they're really clear about what this is for. You know, in handheld old mode only, to me, is a semi-killer, but for most people, they only play in handheld mode, so they're not going to care. But for me, not having the HD rumble and the extra buttons... And the gyro sensor, nah, not really. I don't give a shit about that as much. But to me, that's where it's going to not be as good. I like I, w- I, I need the Bluetooth, I would think, because there'll be, there'll be times I want to even just you know put it out in front of me and just step back in my couch and right. have it not be right in front of my face and just hold it in my hands. And so this is a good bridge to that point where we're probably going to get to where we're going to get an, a, hopefully an official left Joy-Con that has everything the original nintendo one has but has a real d-pad i'm hoping we get to that point because i'll be in if that's a 50 60 item just for one i will buy that with with all the functions and a real d-pad i would do that yeah so would i I, i'm not real into this half measure here um i would totally pay full price for a fully featured one with a d-pad my problem is i for many games 
I am okay with using the uh, the buttons for many. I'm I'm okay with it. Uh, the 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 four circle buttons. There are a few that I'm not, and for those I would like a D pad, and um, I have no real good options. The D pad on the Pro controller sucks. It does? Yeah, it's fucking awful. What does that cost? 70 bucks for that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good controller for everything. I mean, there is... But that'd be the only, only reason I would buy that thing, would be for that. There, it, it, it's, it's great for, you know, the modern style games that use the analogs and stuff like that. So very few modern games use a D-pad for anything that requires precision. But, yeah, there, there's... The, the biggest flaw with the Switch right now is there... There's almost nothing that really there's really no good control method for um, 2D games or arcade style games or arcade style games yeah because while I the circle pad is fine for me for or the, the you know the the whatever you want to call it the, the control pad with the four circles is fine for me for certain things it works for puzzle games and stuff like that that works fine um too loose for platformers. Too loose for arcade games. Uh, if, if yeah, if they were just squeezed together a little bit more, it would be fine. Because I was always fine with the Sony D pad, which is four segmented buttons as well. But well, I'm talking about the, I'm talking about the actual the, the 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 joystick being too loose to. Use. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. It's not precise enough, right? For so digital, it's it's rough. Yeah, the the, the control, both options stink. The control situation is not ideal for a lot of 2D uh, platformers. I understand that Nintendo want to sell their extra controllers, but I think they were short-sighted and not just putting a regular D-pad on it. Well, I I, I mean, there has to be another reason because for them to not not have done it, I don't think it was to sell additional controllers. It's the first time they didn't put a D-pad on on one of their systems by default. Yeah, but I mean, mean, it's not to sell additional controllers because they know people would use this in handheld mode. I don't know why they didn't. No, I'm talking about Nintendo not doing it. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't. It wouldn't be to sell... I'm saying it doesn't make sense to sell additional controllers because they didn't provide an additional controller to sell. Well, the Pro they did. That's what I mean. I mean, for handheld. For handheld, yes. Like, I was surprised it didn't come out yet. I I think we're going to get to that point. I always said about doing like an NES-style Joy-Con or Super Nintendo Joy-Con. It's easy to do that. Uh, I think we're we're going to get to that point I, once they realize it. What did you see? What did you see? They, they've already sold almost two million more NES classics after they re-released it. Really? Which is about the, about the amount they almost sold when they first came out with it. So there's going to be a market there for this. Nintendo should be able to do this on their own unless they don't want to bother with it. I, but I don't know. Maybe they don't want to feel like relying on their old D-pad anymore. They want to move on. But it's a reason why it's the predominant style controller method after 1985 is a reason yeah. why everyone was trying to get their claws on it and had to come up with half measures because Nintendo patented it for so long that the Genesis one was was different and uh, and the Triple Graphics one was not exactly the same. So, okay. I, I'm probably going to buy one of these but not be satisfied like, like what you said because you have to have it docked. And by the way, there was a uh, they're working on a fix because right now at least the one in Japan, if you leave it in your Switch and it's in sleep mode, it drains the battery of your Switch. It's constantly drawing power, that left Joy-Con. So that's a bad thing, but they're working on it, I think, for the U.S. It, uh, in the in the first article we were looking at, it actually says that it's been officially confirmed that the fix will be in place before they're released here in September. So that's good, because that would be really bad. If, say you're on the plane, right, and you, you fall asleep, 
and you put in sleep mode on your, and then you wake up and you can no longer play your game because because your your switch is dead or you know because it's drawing that power because it has no internal battery in order to survive on its own. This sounds like the most begrudging twenty five dollars you could ever yeah, get this someone is, to spend. I, I, I understand I just why not though. Doing it. I understand why though because you can buy what two regular Joy Cons license for like sixty dollars new, right? I think it's seventy. So if they only did fifty bucks for one, people would be like, "What the fuck? It's not it's not a Nintendo first party item." What am I doing? But all they got to do is put a battery in there and put the fucking HD rumble. How much? I don't know how much that would cost per unit, but that's all I would need to be satisfied. Even the extra buttons, I probably wouldn't care as much about in the back because I don't know how many games would use those extra buttons. You know. But all right, Fortnite, Fortnite, <laughs> the Fortnite life. Uh, so Ian, uh, Movie Pass has been something that I've heard you know, through the grapevine the past few years from people saying, oh, I either have it or I use it or you should get it or you should look... Usually, Pat, you should look into it. You like movies. You know, hey, Pat, it's like, whatever, 10 bucks a month and you can watch, you know, 10 movies a month. Uh, and the movies, I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds like too good to be true. But I'll look into that. But I was like, oh, at most I'll probably see like two movies a month. Eh, whatever. It's not worth it. It'll be some months I won't be using it. So right. I never did it. But I probably should have because now MoviePass is in huge, huge trouble. So... MoviePass is a subscription service that modeled itself almost like a Netflix or a Hulu for $10 a month. They went for that number. I think originally it was more, like 20 or 30 and they kept cutting it down, which probably was to their detriment. I'll get into why. Yeah. So what it does is it allows you to go on their app, go online, find a movie theater, showing a movie anytime, and you buy a ticket through MoviePass, but you already paid $10 a month. You go to the movies and you see the movies. And that sounds like that would be an awesome thing, that if I took advantage of it, it would have been cool. I, I probably should have. Yeah, there's some restrictions, like uh, you couldn't see more than one a day. At the same theater? Or the same movie at the same theater? Just stuff like you that? You couldn't see more than one a day, and I think you could only see the one, you know, a movie once or something like that. But you could see, you know, one movie a day, and each movie once or something like that. It may, yeah, maybe, maybe it was per theater. I think it was per theater. You couldn't see the same movie in the same theater. Oh, okay. But ten movies a month... For ten dollars, in theory, that would cost you. Let's just say the average price now is fourteen fifty bucks for a ticket. One hundred fifty dollars versus ten dollars. So, so what happened was on Thursday, people were getting locked out of the new Mission Impossible movie, which has gotten rave reviews again because Tom Cruise is a maniac that does his own stunts still in his, in his mid fifties, and they're they're quality movies. After three on, they're good movies. I still have to see five. I DVR'd five. Wow, the sixth one. But people were getting locked out, and they're like, "Why can't we see Mission Impossible?" Uh, and it's because. MoviePass ran out of money to fulfill ticket sales. Mm. So you're going to ask yourself, what do you mean fulfill ticket sales? What does that mean? So this would have been great for me to look into their actual business model before because I had no idea what their business model was until I'm seeing articles about them running out of money. They did a float a $5 million loan or $6 million loan just to get through ticket sales. For the the business model is unfortunately simple. It's pay full price for the tickets that people use. Or close to it. They, yeah. they probably got some deal, but their model was this. This is Okay, first I'm going to tell you what I thought their model was. Okay, what did I you think thought, it was? I thought their model was something like a price line where you, hotels always have extra rooms, so they budget that to a website to sell at a discount rate because if no one is in those rooms, you know the hotels, the, the hotels want to get whatever money they can for those extra rooms. If no one's in those rooms, they're losing money regardless of what they sell them for, right. whether it's 10 bucks, 20 or $100. Yeah. It's, it pays to fill those rooms up. Sure. You know, as long as they make their cost back. So I thought... 
erroneously that MoviePass had a similar deal with theaters where, you know, say movie theaters, you know, a Tuesday, Wednesday showings, they'll block off like 20 seats because they're not going to sell those seats anyway, no matter what. So we're going to have those reserved through a special discounted deal through MoviePass, right? That to me would be like a a smart business model. Right. Because the movie theater's perspective is, well, we're not going to sell those seats anyway. So, but we're going to get people in the door and they'll buy concessions and we'll make money that way, which is what they've been doing with MoviePass. Movie theaters have been making tons more money through concessions because people are going 10 times a month and yeah. buying, buying the $8 popcorns at $4 drinks. So that's what I thought the business model was, but it wasn't, Ian. What their business model was is that through MoviePass, they probably got some discount through through the chain. It says right here, MoviePass has to pay the full ticket price for okay. all movies its subscribers go see. Okay. Maybe they worked out a bulk deal to make a few dollars up. <laughs> so that means if I use MoviePass and said I want to see uh, Infinity War at Saturday at 10 p.m., which will typically be like a $14, $15 ticket, MoviePass would pay the movie theater that retail value, face value of that ticket. Yep. I want you. Okay. That was their business model. So the more people that signed up for this, the more more deadly it was to their business because they're losing money at a more rapid rate the more people that use this. I mean, you assume that a movie ticket is, let's say, $12 at peak time. You're paying $10 a month. You go once, they've lost money. They've lost money. They're hoping that people do this and and, and, and not use it, but with a deal that good... It's you're, too good. You're not gonna. You're not gonna sign up for that and go. No, I'm not gonna use that. That's one of the things you sign up for, and you're like, I don't want to pay twelve dollars for a ticket. It's Ten a, bucks. You have to sign up for a three month commitment. So what they're hoping for is that you use it once and then forget about it and never use it again. Which is a gigantic gamble and gambit, especially around the movies now coming out in the summer, where there's superhero movies every week. And even if you're a casual movie goer, you're going to see the superhero movies. And maybe, but now you're going to see movies that you may not have wanted to see. Like, oh, I'll see this drama. I'll see this. I'll see the Purge, the first Purge. I wouldn't normally see, it, but it's free now for me to see it. Yeah. It's a free movie night or a free date night, basically. It's Why the not? summer. We live in stressful times. People like to save money. People are going to take advantage of this. But it's not an advantage, though, if that's what their business model is. So that's what I mean. People are like, well, what did you expect? But it's... I oh, I, yeah. I mean, well, they're going to take advantage of what they have. It, it's- so, so you're probably asking yourselves, hey, Pat, how do they get investors on board for this? How do they have a stock that was worth any... I think the stock was worth $30 last year. Now it's worth spit. Uh, at this point. So their plan was to capture people's demographics and buying patterns, what movies they went to, where they were, and sell people's data to other people. They, they So their gambit, huge gambit, was that the data... Marketing, essentially. Yeah, the data and marketing information we're going to be selling is worth more than the, than the millions and millions of dollars we are losing every month. Because we have to pay people. We're basically paying people to go to the movie theater. We're paying people to go to the movies for free. In essence, what they're, they've been doing. Fuck- it's miraculous that this existed to this point in time. And it's miraculous that they got any investments to begin with. With this being their business model. Like if this was on Shark Tank, they wouldn't have gotten through the front door. It would have been like, you guys are out of your minds. Because so, the more popular this was, it hastened the death of the company as more people signed up for it. So let's let's just get to what what what's what's great about what, what's great what's going on with it now. So on uh, Monday, it's insane. Was this yesterday Monday? Yeah, yeah it was. They um, announced that. So 
Uh, MoviePass is uh, now saying that upcoming big releases you will not be able to uh, get tickets for on MoviePass, which is only going to cause the problems for MoviePass to get bigger. But it's going to save the company money because it prevents them from paying out more tickets. Right. It's actually the only thing they could have done. It's the only thing they could do, but it's going to make people... Give up the app. Give up the app. But, but that's actually but doesn't where, matter. But where's the trade-off? I mean, is it, are they going to find a sweet spot, or, or what, what's going to happen? So Christopher Robin and The Meg will not be available to subscribers. Oh, Christopher Robin. And um, it looks like uh, Mission Impossible will continue to be shut out as well. And the other thing they had, they had surge pricing, which was like getting the terms from like Uber when there's a lot of people in demand. They would charge you like whatever, three, four, five, six bucks to get your ticket. Um, people were complaining about that, but that was probably the only thing that probably could have, if they did that from the start, saying, oh, the Blockbuster, you're only paying six bucks for instead of paying 12 or 14 bucks. I'd be like, well, I'm still getting a great deal. I'm paying half price. I'm paying 10 bucks a month. I'm still saving dozens of dollars a month doing this. But they didn't do that until recently, it sounds like, more and more. So people were pissed. Like, oh, I paid 10 bucks. Why am I paying five extra dollars? It's to keep the app alive right. so it doesn't go out of business, which I, I understand it's not your fault if you're complaining about that. But you got to look at it from, would you want this to survive in some capacity or be gone forever? Because that's your choices. Yeah, there this. needs to be a huge restructuring, and it needs to be looked at as a, you know, some sort of um, bargain program. You know, yeah, you can still get your free tickets, and I'm sure there'll be tons of free movies you can go see. You know, the sure. less popular ones. But, you know, look at it as a $10 per month premium service if you go to a shitload of movies and look at it as maybe yeah you're going to be paying three dollars for this movie ticket or two dollars for this movie ticket or if you're going to go see that blockbuster pay, pay, it's going to be six, six bucks, bucks or eight bucks you're right still saving money you're though. still saving money and it, it you know you had that but then it's really and then less people will use it which is fine but it's going to be for people who do go to the movies i say it's one it's one of those things for people who go to movies probably three times a month Sure. You know, and there are people, there are people who go to movies way more than that. Um, you know, the owner of the diner that I go to all the time for breakfast, he goes to movies every weekend. Every weekend. So he was on this probably. Probably, yeah. yeah. Without fail. Yeah, he was on it before I even knew what it was, before people were even talking about it. He's like, oh, I got this crazy thing. And I'm like, no, that can't possibly exist. And he's showing Bonnie and I. This was like, you know, Yeah, how is this a thing? Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's great. But yeah, I mean... With his kids, with his wife, without his kids, without his wife, whatever, he goes and sees, like, one or two movies a week. So, sure. you know, that's the sort of thing where even in a restructuring of how it works, it would be beneficial to him and a lot of people yeah. like him. Yeah, I think it, it turns out that this information isn't as valuable as what people thought before. Plus, if you want to talk about it, the uh, sites that are selling the tickets like Fandango or MovieTickets.com, they have that information from online sales already. Right. And the movie theaters have that information exactly. from people... Uh, buying the tickets online, that gets transferred to who's buying it. They have it in the kiosk. They know who's who's swiping the credit cards for what movies. So everyone already has this information. So I don't know how they thought how they thought that what they were doing was going to be valuable in terms of their data from their user base. It doesn't make any sense. That information is already out there. Also, already. I feel like that data would be tainted as well. if Because you, people are going to the movies more. And, they're going to the know, movies more and they're, they're being more. less picky about what they're seeing because sure. it's not really with their money if you're sure. getting to pick everything you want. If you're using something like MoviePass, you're already savvy enough to use technology and you're already probably doing all of your movie ticket buying online so like you said that data it's out there that 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 data was is more pure and it's more out there yeah. so the good news from this from the from the ashes of movie pass you have amc uh releasing their version which called, i hear is fairly decent uh 
it's 20 bucks a month, which is totally reasonable yes. still. If, if this was 30 bucks a month, it was reasonable. 20 bucks a month, you can see up to three movies a week. No one's seeing more than 12 movies a month. No one's doing that. So I don't hear, oh, this sucks. No, you're not. Sorry. Yeah, you're Unless not. you're insane. Well, if I was homeless, I would get that. You just live in the movie theater all day, though. But anyway, so three movies uh, every week. Only AMC theaters, though. But there's a lot of AMC theaters. There's yep. two within 15 minutes of us, and it, it accounts for IMAX, Dolby, th- real 3D. So it's, it's there's no restrictions on that. Yep, and you can. Uh, it doesn't matter I'm, what it, it, you can see the same movie if you wanted to three times yeah. in one day. So basically. Um, this there's is no the, restriction. This is their version week. of the yeah. Priceline deal because right. AMC is not losing money by giving away tickets for free because it's their theater. Yeah, exactly. They don't have to recoup the, the concessions. Will make up for it. They know. They know on a Tuesday they're filling up 20 seats for that showing. So who cares if people come for free and buy? Because they're making movie up popcorn and and candy anyway. That's how they make the most keeping of their money. it in house. And yeah. you know AMC's have. Uh, and, they're, and, they're, and AMC's are good theaters, by and large. They're getting better. Yeah. They're getting better. They have bars and stuff now, too. You make shitloads of money. At, at the Fashion Valley, when they do have a bar. Yeah, you right. make tons of money at the bars and stuff like that. So um, that's the way to do it. I think movie theaters kind of offering their own version of this is probably sure. the smarter way to go. Sure. If the lot offered something like that. Come on. Fuck it. Jesus. We live there. Christ. They, they, they have a brunch on Sundays outside the theater. <laughs> I'd, I'd fucking... I'd find a reason to go to the oh, they do. They do have a they do have like a, a club directors or producers club. Oh, do they? Discounts if you, if you buy into it, they do. All right. We are proud to be working with Purple Asteroids as they present Aztec Samurai, the puzzle. When a samurai in the 14th century is kidnapped and taken across the ocean, that makes its way to the new world. It is just a start of his adventure. So this is a puzzle tile matching game. Help the samurai keep his sanity by completing nine challenges in a multi-tile matching puzzle game with only a Daruma for help. It's easy to learn but difficult to master with a limited amount of time and tile moves. Thinking ahead is a must. We've tried it out, Ian. Yes, We're matching we around. It's, it's pretty fun. It is. You use your finger to slide a path on the tiles. It's not a, a match three tile matching game. It uh, presents you a screen with tiles. And you can take your finger and you link them together for combos and, and create a path. And then when you let go, it vanishes all the the tiles that match and more tiles fall down. So you can use this to essentially, you know, set yourself up for the the next round of uh, matching. Um, there are poison tiles which you definitely don't want to match at that point in time. And there's bonus tiles, the ones that you want to try to create a combo with at that moment. The tiles themselves have an Aztec theme. They're colorful. They're, they're very well designed. Um, when you think of the tile setup for a high number combination, the game board, game board can be wiped clean. That happened to me a couple times where I wasn't quick enough and I switched when I was in the middle of a combo. However, if you can win, then the samurai survives while his Daruma gets his eye. Failing, it's the end of the story for both of them. Aztec Samurai is available now on the Apple App Store for both iPhones and iPads. And it's only 99 cents. 99 cents. Check it out. Aztec Samurai. Ian, you like to read, don't you? I do. Did you enjoy pop-up books as a child? Yeah, I fucking love pop-up books. I had all sorts of the National Geographic pop-up books. Those were real, real good. So let's talk about this good one right here. Well, I'll just say this is up your alley then, Ian. This it, Kickstarter. It is. So uh, there is a Sega Arcade pop-up history book uh, coming out. 
Um, it needed to have $52,498. That's oddly specific. That's too specific for my liking, but okay. I they thought it out. I think it's because it's being done in the UK. I think it's a conversion from oh, pounds. Oh, it's a conversion yeah, from pounds. Yeah, conversion from they pounds. They did some Pat Man. Um, and it's at 57582 with eight days left to go. So this is going to get done. Uh, it's being done by Darren Wall. So um, Sega Pop-Up Arcade History is a pop-up book that is going to cover um, the... Uh, six er, six cabinets. Well, five... Uh, it looks like the sixth yeah, one is probably going to get added. They so. hit the stretch goal. Six cabinets. It's going to be... Um, hang on. Uh, hang on. Space Harrier. Outrun. Uh, where's the list? I lost it. Outrun. Thunderblade and Afterburner. So these and are all, Power Drift is being added. So these were all... If you never saw these gigantic machines in the arcade in the 80s, these were the, the, the like the environmental ones. Yeah, I think they called them Body Sensation or something like that. Cabinets. Body Sensation Cabinets. We've all probably played or seen the Hang-On one. That's probably the most common one that I remember seeing. Uh, not this Hang-On one. Really? The Red Hang-On one? This one right here? I've, I've seen the Hang-On one. Maybe not that one then, but I did see Oh, it. the Super Hang-On one super is, hang on. the, is the, the one the we've all one? seen. Yeah, okay. the white one. Yeah, okay. everyone's seen that. Um, this red one, though, was actually at that San Diego uh, video game uh, museum thing at the Fleet Center when it was Oh, I time. missed that. Oh, man. Yeah, by the time we saw it, it was so all broken down. I've, anyways. I've seen, the hang- I've seen the Outrun in person, I think, once, maybe twice. I probably I probably saw that outrun for for uh, back in those old New Jersey auctions. I've seen that outrun there. I've seen some of those back then. I've I think I've seen the Space Harrier once. I don't think I've ever seen the Thunderblade one in person. We used uh, to have that back in Buffalo. Was that only in, were these were these some only in Japan or no? No, I've seen all of these here except not for Power Drift. Power Drift is oh, the I've only seen, one I've had. Oh, I've seen, seen Afterburner a ton. That's yeah. one I've seen a ton. Afterburner. So these are all the gigantic ones that usually be back in the day seventy five cents or fifty cents. Oh, it's a lot of money back in the eighties or a dollar for yeah. a machine. Uh, no, a dollar was. Remember the big three D one that was like would move around and a gyros. I forget what game that uh, was. Galaxy Force. That's what it was. Yeah, that's the one that would be like a dollar back then at Seaside. That that was at Casino Pier. So okay, so this is a smaller book, but it's pop up showing you all the ins and outs, and you know. It even has little joysticks on them. It's cute. It's adorable. Yeah, so when you open it like an old pop-up book, the cardboard, the little cardboard sculpture pops up and comes to life. Uh, it lays flat on the page. It looks awesome. Um, for instance, it shows the super or the regular hang-on one, the red bike with the TV cabinet um, embedded in the front of it. It even has the little um, the little uh, coin. Um, even has the little like a uh, coin slot money. What the fuck can I say it? A little pedestal next to it where you put the goddamn coins. It's got that popping up out of the uh, side as well. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. no, hang on. I want to see that. Yeah, yeah. and it's got uh, all the information, um, a little write-up on the uh, the game and the arcade cabinet. And, uh, yeah, this is awesome. So um, I think I'm definitely going to have Emboss to back Silver this. Color, hardcover. Um, introduction to commentary by Keith Stewart. Yeah, it's adorable. Now... If you want to get down to the, the detail value, on this is the detail is great. You're looking at a book that has less than 20 pages that you're paying. Uh, I know pop-up books are more expensive because obviously there's more going into them. Oh yeah, they're crazy expensive. Yeah, it's about forty six dollars for the book. So if you're a big arcade Sega person, this is a no brainer though. You'd, you'd pick this up. Sega Super Scalish stuff is my bread and butter. So yeah, are you thinking about this? Yeah, I'm definitely thinking about this. 
Definitely thinking about this. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of Sega book Kickstarters <laughs> lately coming around. Yep. Yeah. This, this, I, I like the other uh, Kickstarter that we covered, but this is something that I'd probably like. This is more. from Read Only Memory. Okay, they've done, a, they've done a, a bunch of books in the past. All right, all right. So check it out. You have until when is this over? Eight days from now, so it's until about August, uh, August eighth. You have until to, to, excuse me, August 9th. You have to back this Sega Arcade pop up history. And speaking of arcades, Ian, Papadoo. this was an interesting little thing, piece of merchandise, merchandising that merchandise kind of surprised me. In the past, uh, home arcade units that were licensed have been few and far between. Uh, there's ones that you could buy at Walmart or Target that were like the Konami, you know, whatever forty ones that were made. They look like garbage. <laughs> yeah, you know, with like really cheap buttons and. and Joysticks, and they were just you know generic you know licensed but you know multi cades. Yeah. So this is interesting. And this is something that sort of bridges, I think, the gap of quality. I'm hoping between the ones you would be able to find like at a Walmart before. What's the Walmart one called? Real quick, and buying a, a total reproduction. This is called Arcade One Up at Home Arcade. So what this is are three quarter scale arcade machines. So they're not the full, you know, like six foot tall, over six foot tall. These are, let's see. Four feet. Almost four feet high, about 19 inches wide, which isn't that big, and 23 inches deep. So they're, they're scaled down, three quarters. Um, they're upright arcade machines, but being that they're smaller, you're going to probably have to sit down on them in order to play them comfortably. Is or have a little stool. This, I never thought, is this roughly the size of a cabaret cab or is this its own thing? I think they're probably a little bit smaller, smaller than a cabaret. cabaret. I think about yeah. it. I, I can't remember the last time I played a cabaret, but cabarets, I think you can still stand up on, I think, yeah. when you play a cabaret. So these they're offering five. They're, they're basically multi-cades with, I'm guessing, an LCD or LED screen. But they're interesting. They're very interesting in that there's a different control scheme on a few of these based upon the set of games. That's what I like about these. So, for instance, let's start with... Um, uh, we'll start with... Uh, Excuse me. We'll start with an easy one like Centipede. Um, the Centipede one is a great example of why these are definitely more interesting than most multi-cades. So with most multi-cades, almost all of them are going to have Centipede on it. And sure. you get to play Centipede with a fucking joystick, which is absolutely miserable. It's one of the worst things you can do with your time. Uh, <laughs> with your, in with general. Your time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, go you ahead. might as well sit on a fence. I, I mean, I'd say snorting gravel is a better use of your time <laughs> than trying to play Centipede All right, with a freaking joystick. So, it's awful. So the Centipede one has Centipede, Crystal Castles, Missile Command, and Millipede. Four good games, all that require a trackball. So this mini cabinet comes with the trackball built in and everything set up so that you can actually play these four games properly with centipede artwork with with centipede artwork so it takes usually the so yes this one has the centipede artwork and a little centipede marquee and it's set up so that you can play these four trackball games hopefully properly and then another one there's this asteroids one that has the proper button layout for the actual asteroids game thank you it also has tempest major havoc and lunar lander there's a spinner on this 
which means that you have the proper control scheme, whether you're playing Asteroids, Tempest, Major Havoc, or Lunar Lander, you have the right controls at your hands for No, you don't need a spinner these. for Asteroids, but it's optional, and it'd be cool no, to it's, use it. No, it's, well, that's there for Tempest. But I'm just saying, you could, in theory, use it to rotate, though, in Asteroids. Mm, well, I guess. I don't know if they would add that, though. I think, it, I think it's just probably there for Tempest. Okay. But either, way, either, way, either way, I'm saying, it, either way, you have the traditional layout. Yeah. You have the five-button layout you need for Asteroids. It's, it's giving you what you need for, for these. Uh, the only one that's a little upsetting is um, the Rampage one is... What a, what a fucking Well, let's, we'll, get, we'll get the Rampage in a second. Okay. Let's look at the Street Fighter one. So the Street Fighter one has your traditional uh, two joysticks, six buttons. It's Street Fighter Two Champion Cabinet, which I always like that little grayish charcoal, the little fuzzy yeah, thing going on. And you like get you too. get Street Fighter Two Champion Edition, uh, Super Street Fighter Two Turbo, and Super Street Fighter Two the new challenges, the regular one. So you get those three. Most people probably would stick with Champion or, or Street Fighter Super Street Fighter Two Turbo. Yep. Uh, on that. Um and then now we get to the one that Ian has a problem with and I kinda do too. So this is branded as a Rampage Midway classic arcade machine you get rampage gauntlet joust and defender that's a good they don't all fit together exactly but they're all you know they're all games within the same library and they're all classics so you get three control you get three joysticks with a couple buttons each on there so that's perfect for rampage because that's a three player game gauntlet's four though so if you really want to be technical that's kind of upsetting they probably did it for cost and keep the cabinet smaller yeah, it's a I'm minor guessing. beef it's it's, yeah. it's minor because it's small and they have to keep it small it, it's just they have the three for rampage and rampage only needs three it's nice that they threw gauntlet on there honestly uh, i mean even if they put a fourth one on there it's probably impossible to crowd four people around that if it's only 19 inches wide yeah yes. that's 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 a you're gonna be like this anyway you're gonna be doing the little little finger dance so i guess so. i really can't complain about it but still that's pretty neat um and then yeah so then real quickly then the last one you've got uh you've got the final fight final fight ghosts and goblins 1944 the loop master i never knew that was the the subtitle and then strider so this is an interesting little capcom uh collection um these are all excellent games in the arcade they don't all usually, they don't like fit together when you look at them, but they're at least, you know, they're all Capcom classics that were popular in the arcade. Yeah, 1944, I believe, is two players simultaneous as well as Final Fight, so it gives you something to do with those two joysticks. Yeah. So they're they're neat. I I, I think as far as multi-cades go, look, style, size, I think they're all pretty cool. Um, I'd really have to see the quality of like the LCD screen. Oh, the button quality, the button quality, uh, stick what type quality. Of joysticks they're using. They, they look decent. For, I can't tell. It looks like they're using. You can't tell really what type they're using. Let me see if I can find that on the site here. So concept-wise, I like them. Would I ever buy one? No, they're not. They don't. They don't appeal to me in that way. However, I think for what they are and what the concept is, I, I really do like. I like what they've done despite it not being for me. I really yes. like the fact that they picked the games. They use the real artwork. They they use the real artwork and they pick the games and match them with control schemes that make sense. What I've always said is that the appeal of an arcade cabinet, especially for me, is that it provides the unique control schemes that make some of those old games what they are. It's very hard to recreate the feeling of something like Asteroids at home. It's hard to recreate the feeling of something like Centipede at mm -hmm. home. You can't 
<laughs> you can't do it without the right button setup or sure. you know you, you yeah. certainly not you cannot play tempest anywhere but an arcade i'm sorry like i you, you need a spinner you need a spinner to play tempest that's why properly. i put a spinner in my main cabinet so it's really nice to see this as an option. The Centipede one is really tempting to me. Centipede's one of my favorite it's, games of all time. So these are going to be three ninety nine retail or two ninety nine if you pre order them. The accessories are kind of silly. They have a branded arcade one up stool if you want to sit and play, or a riser. Looks like it's about a foot, foot and a half to make it the same size as a traditional arcade machine. Obviously, it's t- <laughs> still skinny. Still skinny. You could probably make your own. I don't know if it's like a twenty dollar item, thirty dollar. I would probably buy it just to not use the stool. It is what it is. It's they're, you know they're, they're trying to keep the cost down, but still provide a solution for you. Get a little more money out of you for that. So there's an FAQ here. What's on the FAQ here? Uh, uh, where can I pre-order these? You can pre-order them. Uh, GameStop, in store, online at Walmart, Bed Bath and Beyond, FYE. They still exist. FYE, I guess they do. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they do. It's weird. Well, retailers carry the machines in the fall. Most major retailers uh, for the four core machines are Bed Bath Beyond, Target, FYE, Hamaker Schlemmer, and Shields. I guess they're not in this country. All right. The risers and stools will be at Walmart, Bed Bath Beyond, FYE, and some specialty stores. Are you distributing to mom and pop stores? We do have a distributor. Okay. And it, uh, they will be available in Canada and Europe. So, all right. I think at three hundred dollars, I think that's a that's a good price point for these. I think three hundred is a little much. Yes, exactly. I was gonna I, when I I didn't realize that the pre order price was pre order only. Yeah, four hundred I think is a bit much. I think three hundred is actually a pretty decent sweet spot price. Um, at four hundred, I think you pick your favorite game and start saving for a real cabinet. If if you want, just oh they, now they sell those combo new ones. Centipede, you can get the centipede millipede. Uh, Missile Command, like licensed real giant ones, but that's probably going to cost you. A Those couple are probably going to yeah be, be really expensive. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's tough for me to say. I just yeah, at four hundred, I start thinking about well, where could I put this? Yeah, four hundred. I think I'd like a real size reproduction one. Or, sure, or for, I, I, that's more what know. I'm thinking. I, yeah, but now it's just not a novelty at that price. Now you want something more substantial. But three hundred, I guess this is, is what, I, this is what I wanted a Neo Geo thing to be kind of closer to this. If I had three hundred. I would be real tempted if I liked, um, if I liked Tempest just a little bit more. They're not that big. If I liked nineteen inches wide. That's like nothing. If I like Tempest just a little bit more, uh. or if I was rich and I mean Centipede would be a no-brainer for me if it was like a really nice quality. So that one, so that centipede. one you get if you had a choice, you get if you had your druthers, you get that one. Centipede, oh Centipede yeah. would be yeah. I would probably I would probably go the Asteroids Tempest one first. They're probably a little more fond of those you know I, I like those games as well that's probably the one i would go for i've said first. forever centipede if if i could i'm not i have no interest in owning arcade cabinets really um unless it was like a candy cab with a bunch of shooter boards but if i were to own one classic arcade cabinet it would be centipede because you just can't recreate that one at home centipede, you can't run away you can't run away goddamn fantastic game all right so in gaming website news we have the escapist magazine coming back you know, so the escapist was uh popular for uh zero punctuation series yep that was huge for like what six years late in the late late tens in the, the late in the late aughts the, the late aughts early yeah, tens the late aughts. That, early 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 yeah what, what do they call the tens the tens teens i don't know late aughts it was, it was yeah, the, the teens late aughts yeah 
What was his name? Ben Croshaw? Yahtzee? Ben, ben Croshaw. Yeah, something like that. So the escapists, uh, I guess they went under at some point. They're, they're, the company that was investing in them got out of it. They got they got overrun politically by far right in the, uh, I would say, 2013-2014 era. Uh, they, uh, they, lo- they lost share because of that? Uh, I Yeah, I mean, the, the website fell into... If you want to try to keep this politics free during the uh, <laughs> during the absolutely shitty awful GamerGate era, that place became uh, sort of a home base for all of those shitlords, and um, it lost popularity. And yeah, it eventually it, it fell under. So there's an announcement that they're trying to come back with the Escapist um, on a Medium article by the new editor in chief Russ Pitts. He explains about. Yeah, he used to work for the website. He saw it end, and now they're trying to bring it back. So, different different strategy this time, though. Uh, towards the end of the 2017, I learned that The Escapist, then owned by Defy Media, will be coming up for sale. It had been severely neglected. Almost everyone who had worked there had been laid off. The offices in North Carolina had been closed. Nobody was even bothering to sell ads in the thing. It was derelict. Okay. To make matters worse, beginning at some point, in 2013 and 2014, the escapist foreign publisher had allowed the website to become a home to political extremists. Whether right or left wing doesn't matter here, although you may know which. It wasn't a secret. It also wasn't interesting. For a time before, it was allowed to begin dying. The escapist editors routinely chose and created content based on a political agenda over journalistic insight. As a result, those not willing to put their political opinions in front of their journalism left the escapist behind. All right. So now it's going to come back with with Russ Pitts at the helm. Okay? So now, what the strategy is now is to not have any politics in their gaming coverage in order to not, I guess, to make make it clean, to have people have, uh, not not have uh, people uh, storm away from the site before or attract an element they don't want. All right? So my, my question is this. And this isn't even left or right. Is it even feasible to, in order to cover anything at this point while being politics free? I would venture to say that would be an extremely difficult venture in, in any time. But now when you're covering any any sort of game that even has... I'm not even talking about games that have politics in it, like the new Far Cry games that have some sort of political message. I'm not even talking that. That would make it almost impossible to cover that. But when we're talking certain studios that are closing up, uh, for financial reasons, when you're when you're talking about uh, shifts in what gamers want to play, or news about certain games not coming out in the East versus West, like uh, Dead or Alive Extreme, it's going to be really difficult to tackle some of these issues uh, and not bring any sort of political, uh, not even stance, but any sort of politics into the conversation about why these things are occurring. And I, so I think it's. I, I see the reason why you'd want to say you'd want to keep politics out of it, but I don't know if it's even something you can do without really stunting what you're covering. Yeah, it's good luck. Um, but it, if there was ever a place, I mean, if there's ever a name where you would want to try to do that, it would be a place like the Escapist. But one, I feel like the Escapist name has probably been dragged through the dirt, and unfortunately, it, 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 I, I don't feel like the Escapist is a repairable name at this point. Um, two, I think we would all like to think that there is a magical place where we could go for dry gaming news or gaming news that is apolitical. But what that ends up with is you end up with a site like the Magic Box, which was literally just dry news. 
this company this has announced out, this. Out. This company has announced this. Great place for resource, but that's it. That, that's all. With this, the problem is is that this is going to turn into a bigger... This has the by, by saying that you don't want this to be political, this is going to turn into a potentially larger political nightmare for them. If you don't want it to be political, that means that the articles are going to have to be read by an editor, and they're going to have to decide that this is not political. Something is political, and someone has to come down on them or say, this needs to be removed because it's too political... What needs to be removed? Is this mm-hmm. thing need? Does this need to be removed because it's two to the left? Does this need to be removed because it's two to the right? Well, then there's going to be an outcry, or, or people are going to say that certain coverage or is political. This is poli- right, this is political when it when just it's to cover something, right, to, just to cover. Yeah, whether it's there's the, edi- there's edi- there's editorial bias versus actual right. coverage bias. Whether 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 the whether from within an editor says no that this cannot be written because it's too political or from the outside someone sees something is too political yeah. there's there's no way where that is going to end well you can say sure no op-eds that are political sure you can say that that's fine you can try to avoid those topics but you can't say no politics and expect that to go well we live in a political world it's like when people say you know keep politics out of my games keep politics out of my comics keep politics out of my movies my shows my music no all of that stuff has that in there because it's a creative release even writing about stuff is a creative release it's going to be in there it's like it's as silly as saying i'm going to release a system that is going to have only bug free games I never heard of that. Who would do that? I don't that's, know. That's insane. I'm just I'm I'm freeballing on that one. Okay. Freewheeling. But this, that this is I it's 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 I I want to say it's noble, but it's just it's it's very short sighted. It's naive. It's I, yeah, I think it's noble. I think it's naive. Naive. It's um, you're gonna get it's you're gonna create more problems than than not. Uh, he said one thing I can tell you without delay or, or equivocation. I love that word. We're leaving politics at the door. Most of us have thoughts about politics, just like most of you. And because we're creators, those thoughts might show up in our work. Avoiding that would be unnatural. That said, I can promise you, no one here will share their politics in an attempt to convince you that yours are wrong. See if they if they if they get more to that stance then i think this has a chance sure. if, 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 because what i saw and what you see sometimes on, on certain websites uh like polygon is they'll come out and basically they'll they'll like cover news and basically say why their political stance is right in the middle of their coverage and if you're going to say you're going to avoid that i'm talking about the author's stance they'll like they'll you'll be reading a normal article and it'll be like oh well these this is why this is wrong and it's like okay you can you can easily edit that stuff out well more to the point that's what happened with the escapist but in the opposite direction probably more right wing versus left yes so you can avoid that that's a noble cause but to say you're going to leave politics out of all your gaming coverage i think again that's naive if if you you can take a scalpel to some things but you cannot divorce yourself from it entirely so a um, more chill news site would be excellent a more chill gaming site would be great but i think i think the the mission statement just needs a bit more I, I, we'll have more, to see a bit more precision. I'm, there. I'm, we'll have to see this after it's out for a month or so to see. First of all, who, what, what sort of writers they have? Uh, who are, what type of people are they attracting to the set? What sort of talent are they? Are they trying to see? See, this is this is where you get into actual politics and and how you're you're doing a website. If you're being apolitical, does that mean I don't want 
anyone with a political stance that I know of to write for me, or does that mean I'm going to get people from any political stance to write for me, but that, but I don't want to hear your overt polit- politics in the articles. See, they both can be, you can, you can go either strategy, but I think one is harder versus the other. People so that, with no political stance are the most boring fucking people on the face of the planet. Sure. But there are people that are journalists that keep their politics divorced from what they cover. Oh, sure. Um, so, like again, this is something. This is a wait and see. This could this could be something that could be like you said, could be a noble, even if it's naive, and see if it works out, or it could be an absolute fucking disaster. It can be because you won't be able to please maybe anyone. So we'll, we'll see what happens with this. Unfortunately, it's I, like I said, I don't I don't think it's not a something that. I don't think it's a bad idea. I mean, it's not like I'm not against the 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 idea. It's just I don't think it's possible. You the, the internet is there is no way to please the internet, especially yeah. right now. And, and they will find a way to pick it apart. Yeah, they're going to go to it now as like honey to, honey to a flower. Um, yeah, I, I, honey to a flower, bees to a, bees to honey, bees to a flower. I mixed up three metaphors at once. <laughs> so. Uh, we'll see what happens with that, I guess. We're going to see if it's really an escape. Uh, Ian, you want to talk about Supreme Pinball? Yeah. So this was released um, about two months ago, and I'm about to just check what the current value of this thing is. The value? Okay, yeah. Someone's got it on eBay for $59,999, and I'm sure it's not going for that. And this is a new pinball machine by Stern? Well, let's get into it. So... Supreme, Supreme Victory. Supreme is is a uh, skateboarding company. Uh, skateboarding fashion, skateboarding. Uh, they actually sell decks and stuff like that. Uh, it started in New York City in 1994, I think. Um, they have a bunch of locations now. I think it's like retail areas, They're retail uh, shops. Yeah, retail shops. Okay. I think it's like. Uh, yeah, I think it's 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 about ten. I think it's around ten, uh, all over the world. Um, over the years, it's become very, very popular, uh, very famous. Lots of celebrities have sported their clothes. They've done lots of uh, clothing lines, T-shirts with celebrities on there. Um, the long story short is I don't understand, you know, a ton about the the, the quote unquote hype market and and stuff like that in in clothes and how this sort of stuff works. However, Supreme stuff is highly highly desirable on the second hand market. When you say Supreme, this stuff is branded with their logo, logo. Supreme, which is a like more generic white font with red rectangle. It's uh, it's, it's impact font, I believe. It, yeah. Impact font. Yeah, it looks just, so people want merchandise that just says Supreme on them. That's their logo. Yeah, it was uh it it looks like uh, propaganda. It looks like a propaganda they've done, uh, font. According to Wikipedia, they've done cruiser bicycles, bricks, crowbars. Yes, the brick Gas-powered minibike with Coleman Company, an Everlast punching bag. Uh-huh. So these are things you can get. You can get. I think you can get bricks in the real world that don't say Supreme on them, but they're going to brand... These are uh, things that they have branded and exists. put out for sale. Okay. Um, but they started as a skateboarding company, and they still are. Uh, they have a store. I think it's their... I think their original one was like this, but um, their original design is like it's all open in the center and everything's around on the walls, so you can actually skateboard in the store while you're shopping. Um, So, interesting stuff, but it became crazy popular, and now they release things, and people get crazy about buying it. It flips for an insane amount. Stuff that they release... Because it's limited. Limited! Yeah, they say it's not limited, but they they release things that um, they don't want to be stuck with any leftover stock. Sure. 
So things like the brick, I think, released for like uh, fifty bucks or a hundred bucks. They sold our two regular. It was a brick dollar brick that was fifty cent brick. It was a brick that was made in a mold that had. So when it came out, it had out the, the oven, Supreme logo on Supreme the top. On it. Yeah. And uh, I saw it being flipped for like a thousand, two thousand. Who bucks. the fuck is buying that? People who want status symbols. That's what all this stuff has become. There are like bots and stuff. So people use like bots that they use for like scraping like limited shoe sales and stuff. Like you people will like buy. I don't understand all this, but people will buy into slots for like bots. People will make like programs that like scrape websites to try to get like better spots in line to increase your chances to buy things. From like Supreme you to pay goods. in to be in the bot, yeah, bot to be in the bot line, yeah. There's Supreme bots out there that they branded. And they're bots the code. for everything, yeah. Oh my god. So, anyway, this came to my attention. So I know a little bit about Supreme just because I know some people who are really into clothes, fashion, and that sort of stuff. But they're not even making their own clothes, though. They're no, just they do. branding. They do. Other, like, I saw this, they have a Hanes t-shirts that are branded Supreme, well, according to Wikipedia. But they also make their own stuff. They do? Yes. Okay, it's not just all rebranding other merchandise. No. Okay. I mean, they do collaborations with other brands, but they they do have their um, own merchandise. The bricks are on sale on eBay right now. One's for $500 in the box, and one is loose for 148 Oh, okay. That's what it is. The $2,000 one, I think, was maybe just an asking price. So... This Supreme Pinball Machine came to my attention because I love the shit out of pinball. And someone brought, you know, showed it to me. So the Supreme Pinball Machine came out for, I believe it was sold at 8000 was the original price that it came out Which for. is a stern pinball price, it's, kind of. It's a higher it's end. It's, a, it's, it's, it's higher than a limited. So it, it's, it's, it's the high, limited. It's a higher end stern pinball price. Um, but it's not crazy out there. It's, it's, sure. it's less than what people thought. People were assuming that it was going to be about 10000 I think, at retail. And this is a Supreme branded generic pinball machine. Well, it's a pinball. So it's supposed to be a Supreme Stern table. Um, it's it's decked out in the Supreme logo. It's white all, and red. It's all white and it's all white and silver on the outside. Uh, the back box is the start of the Supreme logo, and it goes down into the play field, um, and then um, the play field itself is very basic and Spartan looking. Um, it's all done in like generic Supreme logo. So it yeah, just white and red splashes and stars and so the targets lanes. are easy to read. Um, but yeah, there's there's very little in the way of an actual theme. It's generic. The the theme is supreme. Yeah, everything says supreme. Yeah, the theme is supreme. So it came out for that price, and immediately people were trying to uh, get it and flip it. And now it looks like people are trying to get sixty thousand for it. I have no idea how much people are actually getting for it right now. I don't know if you want to see if there's any sold ones. Okay, let's see if there's any sold ones. What I find amusing about this. And I was upset at first because I want to play every pinball machine, like, you know, that I can. Okay. And I was like, oh, shit, they're only making 200 of these. I was like, well, 200, lots of pinball machines have only had 200 made, and I've played, you know, plenty of pinball machines with with low releases. But this one was so sought after, I was like, okay, I'm never going to get to play one. I looked into it. The Supreme Stern Pinball Machine is just a reskin of their Spider-Man Home Edition Pinball Machine. So, 
Stern didn't even make an original table for the Supreme they machine. Bother. They took their home edition pinball machine, which is a cheaper pinball machine without like all the bells and whistles and stuff. So it's not their actual it's not the actual Spider Man machine that is fucking fantastic, award winning you see out like on the newer the, uh, one yeah well the one yeah from 2007 um but they re-released it as a vault edition in 2016 it's at yeah, harvard they, they got rid of all the movie themed yeah, stuff and, yeah it's a great machine yeah. now this is one that was specifically designed just for like home use and it's like a five thousand dollar machine a four thousand five thousand dollar machine they changed the they changed the theming to the supreme theme uh doubled the price on it and uh released it so you know, I was talking to some people days before it came out for sale. I was talking to people who were into it. And uh, some of these people were really nice because I was, you know, making fun of it for a bit. And they're like, hey, you know, it's just it's how this game is played. Um, they're like the whole thing of Supreme at this point. And I was about buying it and flipping it. And I was like, well, when I guess that culture gets so bad that that is what the culture is, you know, the flipping culture. Um I have to. There's a flipping culture now. Yeah, I was like, I guess I have to come at it. Yeah, it's a culture. It's like I guess I have to come at it a different way. But they're like, you may think it's ridiculous, but no one who's buying this cares. You know, I was like, oh, Stern got one over on, and I said, I never have to worry about it because I can play this a different way. And they're like, no one cares. They said this could be a non-functioning pinball machine. They said it could be, it could be a shot. It could be the worst pinball machine in the world. They don't care. They just want because it's Supreme branded. They just want it because it's Supreme branded. How many people are actually going to take this out of the fucking shipping box and put it together? Out of the 200, that, will even half be put together? That question is not one that I can answer, and I don't know if I care. I mean, that's what we're getting down to here, because people were bidding on eBay. People were saying, here's $16,000 to buy one new for me. And then people had, like, the receipt. So the lowest price one was 9500 I saw. 16000 $18,000, $12,000. Then once it's actually been out, though... Yeah, there was a sixty thousand or best offer that was accepted. Sixty three thousand buy it now. Forty five thousand buy it now that were sold. Wow. Or or six bids on that one. So that one sold June twelfth for forty five thousand dollars. This is a generic, fucking shitty looking pinball machine. I literally saw people talking about taking out lines of credit to get this because they knew they could flip it and make which that, is and an make, insane and thing that, to do, by the way, and make that kind of money. And I I doubted it. I would still not recommend so, that I, out there. I, yeah, don't take, don't, out, don't, do take that. Out a, don't take out a second mortgage to buy fucking Bitcoin or buy a pinball machine Cause, to flip. Because you're going to get burnt. Because you're going to get burnt at some Someone's point. going to get burnt. But yeah, there's someone out there that I have to someone eat my probably, words probably to says, who so, told me. Because I, like, I was like, that's not going to flip for more than 25 And I said, that price is going to come crashing down. That price will crash at some point. You actually took out a loan? No, no. Just um, like what it would. Oh, I'm sure someone did. I'm just talking about what it would flip for. Oh. I was but, like, it's not going to flip for more than twenty five. It did. There's a, there's a sucker born every minute. That's the expression. But at some point in this flipping game, someone's be someone's going to be stuck five years from now, having paid forty five thousand dollars for a pinball machine that they won't be able to get that sixty or seventy thousand for. It'll be worth half of that or or less than half at some point. I mean, it's just going to happen. Yeah. Is there going to be a Tesla uh, limited Supreme car? Is that what's going to happen? I don't know, maybe. Give it some time. So it's insane. Speaking of pinball, though, I had a conversation with Ben Heck. Yeah, we talked about we that talked about earlier. that. I don't think Ian heard my conversation with Ben. Uh, hats off to Ben. Good luck on his on his post YouTube career. I wish I was in my post YouTube career uh, at this point. <laughs> Good luck, Ben. He's a lot happier 
the one I spoke to him originally a year ago. We're, we're talking about this ties in with 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 the pinball conversation about the collecting market and how, by and large, it's a rich, older, male collecting market. Guys that are in in their forties and fifties and sixties that have enough money and space to collect multiple pinball machines, sometimes ten, sometimes twenty. People people just have a lot of space in the Midwest or whatever else. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll put him in this. I like the guy, but Chris Bushy has a lot of pinball machines. Yeah, a lot of ones that are, that are older ones are worth money, but even ones that are bought new. You have to have tens of thousands of dollars to be into pinball machines. Oh yeah, and the prices keep climbing up. Because if you want a new release, I mean, for people who may not be aware of what pinball machines cost, um, they they weren't always quite this expensive, oh, no. brand new. But in a well, if you look at some sort of inflation. Maybe, but with inflation plus the fact that they aren't as popular as they once were, new pinball machines from Stern can start anywhere, and from other companies too. They can start anywhere from about six thousand dollars, and then not if you, shipped. If you go with, yeah, um, start about six thousand, and depending on which version you get and how many, how how tricked out you want it, um, let's just top it out at ten thousand. Uh, and then if you get it from a local distributor or operator, of course, there's always the possibility to, you know, to work some sort of a deal. But that's those are the list. Those are the MSRPs. Um, those are the list and, prices. And, and as more competing pinball uh, companies now, there's like five or six of them have come out. The prices have gone up. They haven't gone down sure. on these machines. So they're feeding this sort of weird demand, not just for new machines to play, but there's a collector's market in here as well. People that think this is an investment on these machines at the same time. And there's also re-releases of games that are licensed like Medieval Manus and Attack from Mars. And those prices are somewhat cheaper than if you get the restored original ones, but not to the extent that you think it should be. Now, they've dropped a couple thousand, but yeah, still not an insane amount. Yeah. So um, I've seen attacks from Mars in the seven thousand range, and Medieval Madness is in the seven to eight thousand range, which is a which for an is, original one. They've come back down a little bit, yeah, which is yeah. better than the ten thousand, yes. fifteen thousand, or ten thousand, yeah. uh, ten thousand five hundred. I was seeing them go for you know two, three years. Yeah. Ago. Um, but the price overall, there's more pinball machines being made than ever before, since the nineties. Now, yeah. since the mid nineties, when you had like five or six different companies doing it back then, major ones, Data East, Sega was doing it with my beloved Baywatch pinball machine. Well, Data Valley. East became Sega. Oh they, oh, they did. Stern became Data East, became Sega, became Stern. So there wasn't Sega and Data East ones being made at the same time concurrently in the nineties. No, there wasn't. Okay, if, if I'm correct, and I, I think I am, there it went Stern, Data East, Sega, and then back to Stern. Okay then. But there were um, other ones, though. <laughs> and, and, there, and there was, and Sega did make, there was a Sega pinball division, like, ages ago that was Japan only, too. Okay. Um, so, the, the thing about pinball, though, is I've already started to see it in some instances, but we're definitely heading there. It's a it's a rich hobby. It's a, the, the collector market is, is Richer rich. Richer than Neo Geo. It's rich people. It's, and a lot of them, um, especially when I started looking into buying pinball mach- uh, a pinball machine, um, they were younger people who had found this hobby and had space. Silicon Valley uh, was where a lot of it was happening. Sure, that area, the Northeast um, or the Northwest, because there was always a pinball culture in the Northwest as well um, that had been there. So these machines were around, and they started buying up these machines. And the prices started to go high as the pinball hobby got bigger. 
And they started to fill up the space. And some of these people I've seen already have to offload these machines as they start to, um, you know, get married, start a family, uh, significant quick, quick history college. Yeah, significant others. You know, get divorced. Want space? They have to move. Um, Alimony. You know, you know, someone has to Retirement. move, and suddenly they realize they have ten pinball machines. You know, and that's that's a lot of stuff to move. But it's not quite there yet. We still have people entrenched in the hobby who are in their fifties. I'd say a lot of the biggest collectors are probably, like you said, late forties, mid fifties. And what we're going to see is a given enough time, people are going to have to get rid of these, and there's just not going to be enough people to pick up this slack. They, there hasn't been in, uh, a passing of the torch of pinball culture, culture. There hasn't been enough education. There has been enough examples of getting ingratiating the culture with teenagers and younger children just isn't. Because they're they're huge machines, they're costly, they're heavy. Yeah, there's some video games that come out every now and then that, uh, that you can play. But that's not the same experience. So it's 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 tough to transfer that over to someone down the line. And that's really something where you need uh, arcades to exist to fill the arcades with. And while arcades have made a comeback, there's never going to be as many arcades as what there was 25 years ago. This won't be. So what happens to all these thousands of machines in 15 years that are out there? Yeah. You know, what, what, what happens to them? And you might think it's not a large enough number to matter, but it does when you have someone, if you even have a hundred of one pinball machine out there and they all come back on the market or even 50, and then you're going to have no one with the money that they're going to expect to want to get. Oh, I paid 10,000 for my middle evil madness. Cool. No one wants it anymore. Or no one has $10,000 for it. Maybe someone has $2,000 on a lark. They're not going to have 10 for it. And what do you do then? Right. Um, they got to go somewhere. People look at numbers of pinball machines produced and they might see something that has a run of, you know, 1,000 and go, that's not much. But in a world where pinball machines are not on a lot of operating floor or aren't, aren't operating in a lot of locations mm-hmm. and are mostly a lot of times in specific arcades, specific areas at festivals or in private collections. It's a lot. There's only, there's very few places that will be able to house a decent amount of pinball machines. Most arcades can't even uh, do, or most arcades can't do it. They'll, they'll, they'll have five or 10. Right. But there's going to be a lot more coming out. Plus there's new ones being made now by multiple companies every year. So you're not even counting the ones that still exist from the 60s, 70s, a lot more in the 80s and 90s that are still popular that people still want. Now you have ones being made every year that eh, people might want them now, but maybe 10 years from now, maybe people won't want the one coming. Maybe they don't want that Iron Man one. You know, Maybe it won't be, it'll be passe at that point. That'll be like the Baywatch one of the 90s. I like that Baywatch one. So, Baywatch one. yeah, the last time I saw an influx of younger people was, I don't know, when I started playing pinball uh, league pinball in my mid 20s early 20s but that was before the this rise of them back up in terms of all these different companies making well that was when stern started to really start making them again and you could start finding them the world series of poker machine once in a blue moon you would actually start seeing a new pinball machine out somewhere you'd be like oh what the fuck holly davidson yeah sopranos and then you know you started to find bars that would have more than one and then you know that's when i found out about you know playing you know, tournament pinball and stuff. Um, but now I look around and I'm like, you know, I'm still playing pinball with all the same people I've been playing pinball with for the past 
10, 12 years, so and be, I haven't seen a lot of new new there's no out There's no outreach. How do you do that? Like, how do you get young kids to play pinball machines, really? Well, I mean, the thing is, is people still are... I think I think the problem is is that you know that the it's a model train thing. It's not cheap to play pinball anymore. So basically, the loop has kind of closed back off. Pinball's intimidating for a lot of people because they think it's all luck, which it's not. It's very little luck. It's but it's it it it's it, it's a buck a play most places for the new machines. It's a buck a play, a buck that you lose real quick if you've never played pinball yes. before. Or if the machine's hard, or if the if it's uh, a that, hard that, that total nuclear annihilation one, it's the learning curve in that one. It took me like three, four plays to get the hang of it. Fucking love that machine, but it's so difficult. Um, yeah. The new Star Wars machine, everyone's gonna want to go play the new Star Wars machine, the stern one from like last year. Uh-huh. Difficult machine, yeah, not, not a machine I would tell anyone to start. Ha- on. Way harder than the classic uh, one from the nineties. Um, you know, uh, Spider Man on the other hand is a great machine to start on. I'd tell almost anyone if you want to start playing pinball, if you want to play a machine that's really not so bad, that's a little bit more forgiving giving play the stern you know play stern spider-man um i i don't mind the star wars machine but it's the shots aren't super forgiving if you're not if you haven't played pinball um so it's it can be frustrating for people to get into and now that the price of pinball has gone back up because there are people who will go play it and they know they can get a dollar out of the people who will play it's definitely shut off other people from being able to to try it. So you're, you're going to get to the point where you're going to probably recede back to one pinball company again. It might probably be Stern that will survive. It'll, it'll, and then you'll have a bunch of machines that who knows where they're going to end up 15 years. From. Like we don't, we don't know. We just don't. Yeah. Because even, even if someone can say they even went down a bargain, $1,000, cool, I have no room for this still. I can buy one or two. Most people won't have room for a ton of them, you know. So, well, there'll be hungry people who love the hobby. The, and plus, the upkeep—the upkeep, the upkeep but... is intimidating as well. The yes. upkeep is extremely intimidating. Not, not many people know how to like, you know, re- replace the lights or solder things or deal with diodes and things like that. No one has the knowledge readily available to them. It's not like, oh, I buy a console, I can clean an NES. I got, a, I got a giant machine. I have to have service every now and then. That's expensive. Or make sure a part doesn't break. That'd be hard to replace. We're talking about machines that have dozens or hundreds of parts, potentially. That's, sure. It's all too intimidating for a lot of people. I can work on an 80s pinball machine pretty well if it's if it's playfield related. Backbox, I can't do. I can do playfield stuff on an 80s pinball machine. I can fix bumpers. I can fix... I, I can fix bumper switches and drop target switches and stuff like that. I can replace a coil, um, but I can't do back box stuff. And on a modern machine with all the toys and shit, eh, fuck, probably not. No. You have to be in the community. You have to know someone that's reproducing the stuff or know someone has new old stock. You're eating on microphone. Yep. I can goddamn hear it. It's so bad. It's like intermittent fasting, damn it. I'm heating up. You see the slammy. Ian, speaking of annoyances. Mm-hmm. You often don't like things in your butt. No. But now, you can get an officially licensed Pikachu butt plug charger. I want this pretty pretty dang bad. Um, this is uh, this is fantastic. <laughs> Unfortunately, right now it's Japan only, which means I couldn't fit it in a socket here. Oh, no, no. It looks like I can. Yep, it's fine. Um, Going to need to get this. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Japan runs on the same as us. Um, I saw, I think I saw a UK one. So it's a, uh, <laughs> I need this so bad. So it's a, so you know the little bricks that you have that you stick your USBs into for charging your phones and all sorts of other things. Uh, this is just the bottom half of a Pikachu. 
and you stick it into your outlet, and uh, it's just his ass sticking out. So it looks like he's stuck in a wall socket, and uh, you stick the um, the USB bit in his belly. Yeah, it looks like he do- he dove head first because yeah. he likes electricity. He's feasting on some. <laughs> yep, he dove head first. And now he's stuck. <laughs> right. And now you're two. torturing him by <laughs> getting all the juice from his cute little belly button. Yep. USB belly button. Yeah, I... I don't know why I need this so bad. But I know it's... why you need it, because you're a deviant. Yeah. And you, and you like Pokemon. That's why you need it. Yeah. I have been watching... Oh, I've been watching way too much Pokemon lately. Oh, yep. Here's the butt one. There's a butt one. Oh, there is a butt one, too. Yeah. The, okay. Of course there's a butt one, there's too. There's the butt one. So there's one that is just a lower torso. Oh, that's an unofficial one. Okay. Oh, so, the... The, so the butt one is unofficial. And you that get one... one from China that's unofficial where you literally stick it in his asshole. And that's the one that I was looking at that... Yeah, you. that's the one that was into a plug that... uh a plug type that I don't know. So officially, we're going to be a little more non-risque and just stick it in his abdomen. <laughs> you want to go non-official and fulfill all your dreams, stick it in his butt. Get the unofficial, stick it in his ass. Pikachu's ass. And that's... You're going to have some dirty thoughts every time you have to charge your iPhone or Android device uh, there. So this, what is this going to, what is this going to read? How much would you spend on this, Ian? I'd spend $5. I'd spend $10. This is not going to be $5. I would spend $10 this on This is going to be $10 that. if it's officially licensed. I would spend $10 on this. Is there a... doesn't say. They just announced it. Brand new, officially licensed Pikachu USB charger. Only available to those in Japan. That looks like its rear end is sticking out of your living room wall. An upcoming series. There's going to be more chargers in the future. More ass chargers or just or more abdomen chargers seeing the butt? I, I don't know, but I'm going to okay. catch them all. Okay. Um, if your question is, how many things do they need to make that are Pokemon-themed? My answer is all no. of them. How many different Pokemon asses are, are going to be able to market sticking out of the wall? How, all like, of them. All of them? All, all 200? Of them. How many Pokemon are 200-plus Pokemon? Uh, the 700-something. There's 700. They're going to have... Maybe 800 they'll, they'll, they'll probably pick like five or ten of these to do. Yeah, probably. Squirtle's a little butt. Uh, a little Squirtle tush. A little Squirtle, <laughs> a little squirtle tush. Why, why don't you just get the bootleg one where you stick it in his anus? Because uh, it's for a, a, a socket type that we don't use. You can get an adapter. Uh, but that would look weird. It's 39 yen for the bootleg one. What does that come out to? 39 Pat yen? Pat math. 390 yen? It says 39 on the website. 39 yen is like 39 cents. 35 cents, so that can't be right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe 390. Maybe. That would be like $4. There are some disturbing images. If you go to the a bootleg website, there are some very disturbing images of P- the actual Pikachu plugged into the butt of the Pikachu plugged into the wall. And the look on his face is horrifying. It's like torture. <laughs> so so you, can, you can buy the bootleg one right now, um, or you can buy the... Um, or you can, take his, you can take part of the tail off, it looks like. Um, the bully one is cute because his ear, uh, it's, it's, it's like antennae almost plugging into the wall. Oh, yeah. No, he looks real upset. The bootleg one. Yeah. He's not happy at all. He's not happy. No. I wouldn't be either. No. Something might be plugged into his spot, Getting plugged it. also into the wall. Getting it from both ends, poor guy. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. People like Ian uh, exist for the Pikachu butt plug. So go get, go get it or finer. USB butt plugs are sold. Gotta catch them In the CU Podcast is proud to be working with NordVPN. It's what I use to keep myself safe online, and Ian, you can too. 
If you care about your privacy and the security of your information, NordVPN is giving you 77% off a three-year plan when you go to nordvpn.com slash podcast or use code podcast at checkout. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, and today having a VPN is more critical than ever. Why? Well, if you're doing anything online, your information and browsing habits are out there for anyone to get a hold of. You, you don't want to see where people are. Nope. Where, where you're fucking browsing. Uh, when you use NordVPN, you can have access to over 4,000 <laughs> super speedy servers in 62 countries. And those connections secure your information using military-grade encryption. That means your information and what you do online is nearly impossible to track. I'm using the NordVPN app on my phone and on my laptop. So that means when I'm getting free Wi-Fi at the coffee shop, at an airport, maybe an upcoming convention, which I do from time to time, wherever, I know things like, like my passwords and banking info are masked. The folks at PCMag gave NordVPN their editor's top VPN choice. Just one account lets you protect up to six devices. So Whoa. You phone, multiple computers, you're set to go. There's an app for Android and iOS, unlimited bandwidth, and a money-back guarantee. Other potential benefits. You can hop on servers around the world, as NordVPN, NordVPN lets you do, and you can you know, try to access streaming services in other, other locales. Yep. You can try to do that. Yep. Again, to get that special offer, which breaks down only $2.75 per month, go to nordvpn.com slash podcast or use code podcast and get going with your secure web browsing today, Ian. All Do right. Uh, Venom, Ian. The Venom yeah. trailer came out. The full trailer number two. Oh, good. With That's New just... York Eddie Brock. <laughs> I love Tom Hardy, but that accent's a little bit much. I know you're, you know, you got to get through your normal accent to do that but he sounds like he's like jesse ventura uh, reporter looking for government conspiracies i'm jesse ventura <laughs> the government's lying to you <laughs> ever seen that show no. it's ridiculous no i have not it was like the pre i mean alex jones exists back then it was like the pre alex jones extreme heart the harp system oh controlling the weather you know anyway so that's who eddie brock oh, is this harp yeah, harp is that's something. But that, that's what Eddie Brock seems like. Is. He's he's going after conspiratorial news, and he finds the symbiote uh, experiment going on, and he gets venom on himself, and he he wants to eat pancreases and legs. It's the later popular version of Venom, where they went off the beaten track and made him a monster, and said, "I want to eat your brain, Spider Man." That's not how he started. Again, that's all it was in the McFarland days originally. But they they gave him the tongue and the sloppiness and threatening to chew off people's faces and legs and okay i mean i'm not a venom guy again i'm not a venom guy other people are venom guys i guess if this if you're a venom person this is your movie that you want to see where he's fighting other symbiotes in dark san francisco i don't think the movie takes place in the day at all because that would require more expensive cg wink that's why it's always at night but he's fighting other symbiotes i think uh, i believe someone says it's riot by that point, I was off the Spider-Man books. Once they had, once they had anyone other than Carnage, I was out. I, I was out with the other symbiote spawns. I think two symbiotes is enough for me. But this is someone else, and there's going to be others, and there's probably going to be a Carnage fucking tease. I have, I have, don't have interest. First of all, in a non-Spider-Man Venom again, but I really don't have an interest in symbiotes fighting each other. Because while visually it could be interesting, at some point you have to look at it and be like, okay, so you have them tearing each other apart and stretching each other. It's, styles make fights, Ian, especially in comic books. And I don't think it's interesting to have symbiotes fighting each other. That's, I know, that might seem shallow, but that's when I first thing that popped out of me. is like, if that's really going to be the confrontations in the movie, was how I'm taking out, looks like, rent-a-cops and you know, thugs 
I don't know. That's not a fight I want to see. It's also the reason why I got tired of Iron Man 1 and 2, where Iron Man's fighting other guys in Iron Man-type suits. And to me, I need some more variety in, in the action there. But whatever. That's, that's, that's my thoughts. I think visually it looks all right. The effects look okay. That's why um, I didn't like... I didn't... I mean, as much as I like Black Panther, the... The last fight sucked. The last fight of Black Panther was boring and... The CG was terrible as well. Awful... Sh- yeah, the they CG didn't, They was... didn't need to use CG for those last two Black Panther fights to the extent they did. Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I agree. Um, that, that That's annoying to me. Symbiote. Um, I really have no stake in Venom whatsoever. I, I don't really care for the character don't know much about the character um he's a new yorker the movie to me looks <laughs> like it could be fun enough or interesting yeah. enough uh as anything other than a venom movie i mean honestly if it wasn't it was a horror movie yeah it looks like a fairly interesting horror movie it looks like it's got a fairly decent premise set up i don't know i just maybe it's because i just finally saw Mad Max Fury Road and I liked it and I thought Tom Hardy was actually pretty decent in it and I, yeah. I thought maybe I wasn't going to like Tom Hardy but no he was pretty good well, you like the, he's great in everything he does Tom Hardy I've never really seen anything else it was Bane oh uh, yeah I, I still never saw Dark Knight Rises never finished it up a little bloated a yeah little bloated. heard it was a little bloated Frank says it's the best movie ever Frank's insane um, but it's it's good movie, but the Dark Knight's probably the better of the. Of the I, I originally I actually prefer the original. I like seeing how he got it, his start. But okay, uh, I no, I really liked. Uh, um, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy's always good. He was in that MMA movie a few years. There's been tons of stuff. Tom Hardy. I, I, I looked him up and I was like, you know, I haven't seen almost anything you've been in. But yeah, I really liked Fury Road. So I I feel like I feel like I could certainly give him a a, a fighting chance in this. Um, he was in Dunkirk. He's in all those the movies by uh, the director who did that, and uh, the fuck? Christopher Nolan. He's in all the Christopher Nolan movies. Gotcha. Yeah, he was he was in uh, the other Inception. Did you see Inception? No. Oh, that's an excellent movie. Didn't see Inception. Wow. Okay. I I don't see a lot of movies. You don't have movie pass. <laughs> he was in your favorite. He was in Sucker Punch as Rodders. Oh, you might have to see Sucker Punch. <laughs> nope. Uh, so back to what I was saying. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's got a little bit of humor in there, a little bit of, you know, darkish humor. Um, I just, the The Revenant, see that movie as well. The, the Venom without, the Venom without Spider-Man, obviously, I understand why that's annoying. It's the Venom removed from any sort of superhero universe is what also seems I, odd it's it's the venom on its own without any sort of reference point at all just seems very bizarre to well, me and that's where, that, do you, where do you go with him after this movie he f- fights more fucking symbiotes every movie is that what yeah. this universe is going to be right at, at some point you at some you're hitting a brick wall in this movie you can only do so much with a venom that has no connection to anything else I still don't see how they're going to... I mean, Peter supposedly has a cameo in this. I don't know what the hell... How they're going to do that. Because you know Marvel's going to be like, oh, we'll let you like have him like look on a computer and seeing a trend on Twitter about something going on in San Francisco. We're not going to have him show up and talk to Eddie Brock or anything like that. Really? They're going to let him have a cameo? He Supposedly, Tom Holland's in the movie. Really? Yes. Okay. But we don't know as what or what he's going to be doing in it. So it's going to be like, oh, hey, Aunt May, look what's on the news <laughs> across the country in San Francisco. Okay, bye. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so, all right. 
I, I will. You know what? I will see this movie in the theater. I think I will see it in the theaters. I, I, I probably would see this in the theaters before I see Aquaman. I think so. I think. Actually, I'm just a toss-up. We'll see. My man! There was, a, there was a My Man moment in the Aquaman trailer. Oh, was there? Kind of, where he screamed something. I forgot what he screamed. I didn't it see wasn't it. as blatant. All right. All right, Ian. We have the, the Patreon Q&A topic. Bring. You go to patreon.com slash see podcast. You can access the Discord, and you get to choose on a topic. We also have a voice Q&A we have to get back to at some point. So the, the runaway winner, Ian, this time out. All right, so these were the questions. Do you miss cheesy bad games based on movies and TV shows? 20%. Have you ever had a person be nasty online only to be nice in person? Pat keeps putting that one up there. It keeps being second place. 19%. 19%. falls off. last place today. And is there a poorly received game that you defended as misunderstood? 61% runaway hit. This is going to be a tough one to answer. All right. I might have to go to a certain NES guide app to, to go through it. I've always defended. If you want to go back to the basic games that people always say are crap on the NES, I'm looking at it right now. Jaws is not a bad game. I very much NES like game. Jaws, actually. Jaws is a fun, semi-open game that really like has RPG elements to it and decent action. It's it's, it's fairly well made. It's actually made, uh, developed by Atlas, I believe. Yeah. Did that one. Remember, LGN just published the shit. They didn't program any of this stuff. So Jaws is one that I constantly defend as not a bad game. I think I gave it three stars according to a certain NES guidebook. Um, no, I can't support Akari Warriors. And when that one got worse and worse as I got older, unfortunately. No, Akari Warriors is miserable is, on the NES. Is, is butt trash. It's fucking... <laughs> it's butt trash. <laughs> it's disgusting. That game is fucking filthy. Um, so, I have a few. Um, a few games. Let one me, sort by bad games here. Let me see this. So one is actually one we touched on uh, at the start of this podcast, and it's one that I defended um, for a while because I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's, it was misunderstood. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, try to defend it necessarily against the allegations that it was shipped incomplete because it wasn't what was promised. But I really <laughs> enjoyed No Man's Sky when it first came out. Um, I very much enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of it was. Because I didn't pay attention to previews or hype. I just kind of heard about it and got an idea of what it was and decided that this would be something that I think I would like. And when I got it, um, it was a great way for me to relieve stress, even without um, half the things that were promised. Uh, I just did a lot of flying around and landing on the planets and, and walking around. And... Um, you know, even the the things that there were available to do, I didn't do a lot of them. Uh, I just made sure I could keep my life support systems up and running, and you know, protection from whatever hazards were on that planet running. And I'd just take off and land and walk around and, and see what it looked like. And there was certainly enough variety, at least in the planet structure at that time, for me to do so. Um, whenever people would ask about the game at work, it was it was one of those ones that I couldn't I couldn't exactly recommend it but I always tried to explain to people why I liked it um, and you know sometimes people bought it and I always made sure I told them that they could exchange it if they needed to and sometimes people came back and sometimes people actually you know said that they, they also enjoyed it um, that was a game that fell in price pretty quick pretty quick too I think at one point going as low as maybe 15 bucks um, 
So it wasn't a huge risk. A couple other games that always pop to my mind that I, I like that most people don't. Um, I uh, I am a Deadly Towers defender for the That's NES. That's right. I like Deadly Towers. I like the music. I like the structure of the game. Um, the uh, enemies are stupid. Uh, there's some slinkies and some bouncy balls and a whole <laughs> a lot puddle of... puddle or something? A puddle, yep. <laughs> a whole lot of filler bullshit. Uh, absolutely. Uh, tons of bullshit. But um, I actually kind of like the game. It's it's not, like, amazing, but I think it's actually pretty fun. Um, I like the layout and the enemy design. Uh, some of the other enemy design is pretty good. And... Uh, I only realized the other day that this one is not particularly liked, but I, I always liked it. Uh, Green Dog for the Sega Genesis. I like Green Dog. I've never played it before. Uh, the Beached Surfer Dude. It's uh, I think it's a U.S. only release, or U.S. and European. It might not be in Japan. Um, it was done by one of the Sega schools, and uh, it's a basic platformer. Uh, the sprite's big. The hitbox is a little unwieldy controls are decent um but it's got really nice graphics and it's got pretty decent music it's colorful uh you have to travel to the seven um seven islands um to uh get rid of a cursed amulet uh you attack with a frisbee i like games i like games with frisbee attacks wally bear I'm going to get to wally bear yeah <laughs> don't worry uh running out, running out of uh, games quick uh, I like um, I like games with frisbee attacks, uh, and then there's uh, there's skateboard levels and rollerblade levels, and those can be a little bit harsh. But I played that game a lot as a kid, and I would still recommend that game to someone today. And then lastly, uh, can't deny it, I like Wally Bear and the No Gang. I do, I like that game. It's it's it's, it's bad, fu- but it's I, fun. It, it's it's there's an, a fun charm to it. It's an okay. It, it's it's. Oh, it's still problematic, but it's it's got it's, its issues. Terrible. But as far as a lot of those AVE and Comerica and all those yeah, it's, unlicensed it's not games, not Raid Twenty Twenty. It's not Raid Twenty Twenty. Nothing is holy shit. Raid Twenty Twenty is so bad. So um, I, I don't know if it's derided, but Nightmare on Elm Street is all I've seen derided. That's actually a, a good game. It's it's on NES. It's pretty good. It's the best you're gonna do on an NES. R-rated movie horror like port like, like and it's four players and it really builds in different elements from the film and going into the different dream warriors. It, re- it really it really it's, captures the um it really captures yeah, the it, dream warriors it feels, part of the game. There yeah. are some horror elements for like you have to wake up for Freddy comes and Freddy's come like that's that's a quality game. I like that a lot better than the Nightmare, than the Friday Thirteenth game. A lot better. Yeah, yeah. That one's a little bit of a mess to me. That that Friday Thirteenth. Friday still. the Thirteenth game was a great idea. It just executed horribly. Um, the 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 fri- the Nightmare on Elm Street one is a good idea. I don't think it's as cool of an idea, but it's executed way better. I think it's a cool idea. You got to well, explore around, going to the different yeah houses. Yeah, you know, it, it's just it's all around executed better. Um, that's about it. I'm trying to look at terrible graphics games that are derided. No, Battle Royale shit. And I just didn't realize that as a kid. Uh, <laughs> Battle Royale was... Battle Royale Not many terrible sad. games to say that you have to defend because there aren't that many that bad terrible graphics games that you can bring up. JJ and Jeff I haven't played in a long time. I forget if that's how bad that one was, uh, for example. But okay. Well, thanks for the question out there. We'll, we'll, we have the question. Thanks for voting on the question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Patreon.com slash podcast. Q&A time, for real, on the CU Podcast. This is from at MSU Hitman. 
Has Ian ever accidentally passed on a collector's edition trade in at Luna? That was actually really valuable. Lots of RPG or GameStop exclusive uh, collector's editions retain increasing value. Or is it like plastic instruments that sell high online but, but gather dust in store? What do you say, Ian? I've never accidentally passed on a collector's edition that was valuable. I just... You don't want it. Yeah, we don't want them. Um, collector's editions are things that you can certainly, depending on what they are, and they have to be the right one, too. A lot of those collector's editions are worthless the moment you take them home to anyone but yourself. Um, a giant Joker statue from Arkham Asylum. But they... Um, they take up too much space in the store. Uh, and they have to be... You have to find the very specific right person who not only wants that game, they have to love that game enough that they would want the collector's edition and not have already purchased that collector's edition. Because a lot of these crazy collector's editions that you can get are... They've they're recent. the 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 U.S. getting collectors editions um, that are you know in that deluxe nature uh, really only started happening around the PlayStation three three sixty era in terms of coming out in that sort of um, coming out with that regularity. You know the the Call of Duty's getting all those collectors editions. The RPGs finally getting the collectors editions. Every major release, all the, almost all the art books and the you know the soundtrack CDs. I mean, you saw some of that in the PlayStation Two era, but not as much now. So, a lot of these people had the chances to get those. So you have to find the person who really loves the game. Then they have to love it enough to want the collectors edition. Then they have to love it enough to want to pay extra for this crap that they have to find space for in their house, which is why this person who already had that collector's edition in the first place got rid of their collector's edition, specifically to us, because we didn't want it that bad in the first place to pay them any extra money for it, and we already probably told them, look, you can probably get more money for this online. Look, there's a whole scenario that goes into us winding up with one or turning one down. It's never going to move in our store. It's going to take forever. And we don't want to eBay it. So if someone comes in and points to us and goes, but yeah, but this collector's edition goes for 80 online. And I go, okay. Then your best bet is to pay, to put this online and sell it for 80 if you can get that. Sure. Because I could put an $80 price tag on this and someday someone might pay me 80 for this collector's edition but that person it may take that person five years to walk in here sure um it so it is it's like the plastic instruments uh, and i saw that this person had kind of asked a secondary question about the plastic instruments when we were going through our q a topics if we wanted to sell those plastic instruments that we get yeah you can get like 30 bucks for some of them now we give them away for free all day long. If people leave them, we get them back out what of the is, store as quickly as we can. What does the generic guitar go for? I don't know. I don't even look. But I'm assuming probably 25 30 bucks. That's what people have told well, they me. Don't, they don't make them that much anymore? They don't make them at all. I mean, they don't They don't make them, period. They stopped doing that stuff? They stopped doing it years and years ago. I thought I still put out that some of that Guitar no, Hero stuff. Uh-uh. I mean, when, when Guitar Hero um, Live came out and Rock Band 4 came out, which was like three years ago, that was it? they did a quick run of that and then immediately shut that shit down because it wasn't popular enough so no they haven't put out instruments in forever so you can get some money for them online but we don't want to have to deal with warrantying them 
testing them. None of us are going to take two seconds to set up a guitar and be like, this works. No, we don't give a shit. So we put them in a bin. It's at some point, it's not worth the hassle to try to get the extra couple of bucks out of this. They come in. Yes, you could probably get money selling these online. We don't want to deal with that shit. Okay, put them in that bin. We don't either. We can just pretend that these were never here and out the door they go. Um, to a, a slightly, I don't know, more collector's point, uh, to, uh, more on the side of collecting stuff, we get Sega stuff in sometimes, like boxed, nice Sega systems in, um, power-based converters, systems like that. And oftentimes we're like, this is what you can get for this. You're trying to wait box power base converters? No. Listen to what I'm saying. To a, On a collector's point, something similar. We get nice stuff in, like box power base converters. People will try to sell nice box Sega systems. Um, sometimes other systems, like uh, weird stuff, like, uh, you know, like uh, people will try to get rid of boxed, you know, weird computer stuff that like if we went to a trade show uh you know or a portland i could put a price tag on these and get nice you know decent yeah, money no for, for your store yeah exactly same thing with the sega stuff which is even more popular <laughs> but people don't think of it they come in and they they try to sell it and i go i can't give you much for this and they're like well it sells for this online then take it and sell it online because no one's coming in here looking for boxed dreamcast broadband adapters sure i know what that's worth i cannot pay you a fair amount to get this into the store because it's never ever going to sell no one's coming into san diego and being like let's go to luna video games and see if they have a boxed broadband adapter so one of those so some of this stuff it's not worth it for a store to necessarily bring it in because it's just never going to move. It's so hyper-specialized that that's the sort of stuff you do want to sell online or you do want to take specifically to a convention to sell. That's what people are looking for at conventions. All right. Ian asks, uh, from Kate Cora, uh, when you are guests at con, how do you guys manage your energy levels? As an introvert, I like people, but I find that I'm wiped out after a period of continuous socializing. It's a, it's a grind. You have to have a, a predisposition to wanting to talk, interact with a lot of people. If not, you have, to, uh, you have to at least put on a smile. I mean, I've done it for years and years, so it's a little easier for me now. I'm disciplined. You have to, uh, you have to conserve. If you're not going to be talking to people for like five to seven hours a day, if not more, you have to conserve your energy level. Fortunately, that's not always possible. You have to make sure you're, you're, you're eating right throughout the day. You have some Hydration is very important. You have to keep, keep very well hydrated. Uh, not having liquids inside of you can really drain you more quicker than you might think. Especially if you're if you're talking to a lot of people, you're taking you know pictures or you know interacting with people. That's it's critical that you're constantly drinking something or at least that because that, that'll just you'll you'll be you'll be fine one hour. Next hour you'll be done. Not realize oh I haven't drinking anything in a few hours. Uh, that's important. Um, like I said, having healthy snacks throughout the day. It is you have to take a break. You have to take a 20-minute break every, you know, couple hours, two to three hours. Ian does his little spins around. I do my spins. You know, that's important to make sure that you're not, you don't get burnt out from it. Um, if it's a two-day convention, at least for me, two days is not as bad. If it's a three-day, it can get rougher once you hit Sunday or even late Saturday because that's a, it's, it's a lot more time. 
if you're at your table uh, a lot to uh, to do that. Um, but that's really it. You have to you have to sleep well. I mean, Ian doesn't like to sleep, but um, at conventions, but you have to you make sure you get your. I sleep don't in. S- sleep. I don't sleep. Sure, but Ian, you know, socializes sometimes at these conventions. And while I like to socialize, I like to make sure I get like at least six to seven hours of sleep at a convention. It doesn't always work out, but if you don't get that, you're going to be wiped out uh, for sure because it does take a lot out of you. And then it's not counting the energy that goes into a panel or two. In some conventions, I do three panels. So it's, it's, a, it's a bunch of factors, um, but that's the best advice I can, I can give you. You have to stay energized, hydrated, you know, putting on a positive attitude. Um, even if you're in a, if you're tired, if you, if you smile, it gives you more energy. It makes you feel better. It's uplifting even to smile and, you know, it, it, every little bit helps. Uh, for me, um, some similar things there. One, I, I cannot in all aspects of life, I cannot, uh, overstate how important hydration is, especially at a convention, any place where you're constantly talking, moving, Walking, sitting in one spot, anywhere where you may not be getting the best nutrition, you need to at least make sure you're hydrated. Um, you will feel slow and sluggish and dizzy uh, if you're not getting enough water. So that goes for attendees as well. Just make sure you're constantly drinking. For me, I love talking to people. I really do like to socialize, but I am an introvert and I do lose my stores of energy pretty quickly. Um, so lately I've been... Uh, trying to preemptively stay um, happy and peppy, which means that I have to take a lot more breaks than I used to. I don't go uh, to these conventions. Well, I don't take my anti-anxiety medication um, anymore, or at least not regularly. I usually travel. I think I've taken it twice since since I stopped completely, which was March. Um, so only in emergencies. Uh so that means I've had to really change some things around. Um, I uh, When I take breaks on the con floor, um, I usually go find a friendly booth. People I know sit behind the booth and just chill. Uh, I need you know some time uh, to relax. I want all my time on the floor where I'm talking to people to be um, fun and good. So uh, I need some moments where I'm not talking and not being talked at. Uh, I will find Chris from Windy Gaming or Carlson from Mad Gear, and I'll I'll camp out behind their booth and hide. Um, after the convention floor, uh, before socializing at night, um, I will usually go back to the hotel room and take half an hour, an hour to just lay on the bread, the the bread, lay on the bed and breathe, um, and kind of get myself back. Lay on that whole wheat. Lay on that whole wheat. Uh, get myself back to normal. Um, you know, find some balance. Um, that does mean that I, I, I do start, you know, I have started to skip some dinners or some sort of things, but it's better than pushing myself all the way and burning out. Um, I've found myself to be a lot more alert and attentive um, when I am around people if I just make sure I take those those breaks for myself. Well, that, well that's it's funny that you say you skip the dinners. I have to do the dinners because that's probably the only good food I'm going to have the whole day. So I make sure I load up on dinner. Usually, I mean, I hate to say it, but I, it's a tradition now that whenever I go to these conventions, I find a, a sushi buffet because uh, I love sushi, and that's usually what everyone agrees on. But getting a, a good, healthy, protein-packed meal is probably what keeps me energized, especially for that next day. Because usually throughout the day, either you eat very little, 
or you eat whatever someone hands you, which isn't always the healthiest food. It, it wears just, you down. I have to play it by ear. When I say skip dinner, I don't mean I skip eating dinner. It's some, you, need, you need social dinner. It, it's sometimes a dinner that's too large is, is too much for me after being sure. on the con floor. So maybe I'll find one other person or I'll just go well, eat dinner by oh, myself. Sure. I'll just go eat dinner by yeah, myself I, in the lobby. Um, it doesn't mean I'm skipping oh, dinner okay. or I'm eating something I, unhealthy. It just means I'm not doing the big social dinner, especially if I know that I'm going to have a chance to see those people later oh, that sure. evening or something. Oh, yeah. I, I prefer usually when it's like four people at most or the, five. The jumping um, from... I, I've, I've, I learned... I definitely learned that jumping from the con floor directly into something like a dinner is not always the best move oh yeah I, I usually like to go back to the hotel for 15 20 minutes at least and be like okay rest sit on the bed for a second decompress now let's hit up the sushi buffet roll eat about eight eight hundred dollars worth get my money's yeah money's worth in there um speaking of that we're gonna be at game on expo yep game on expo that's in beautiful phoenix that is it's, it's super a dry, soon. It's, it's a dry heat, Ian, and that's going to be August 10th through 12th. No. Go to uh, GameOnExpoAZ.com for tickets and more information there. Um, we're going to have people like our pal Andre. Uh, Meadows will be there. You're going to have Gerard Khalil, the completionist. You're going to have some bunch of voice actors are going to be there as well. Um, you're going to have Daniel Piscina, Mortal Kombat fan, will be there. And the original Sonya Blade, Elizabeth Malecki. Ah, Sonya. And Richard DeVizio, who was Kano and Baraka. So lots of good people are going to be there. So again, go to GameOnExpoAZ.com. Uh, and those lovable old game chasers. And Chris Tang's going to be there as well. Good old Chris Tang. I'm excited. So check that out. And I think we had a promo code, but uh, i got to find where it is. So anyway, so uh, in the last Q&A is from at Griffin Acuna. Griffin Acuna. Do you think the prices for TurboGrafx-16 games and systems will ever come back down? I guess it means probably like pre-2011 levels, 2012, when they really shot up. Uh, it's tough to say. I mean, at some point, the price for everything is, is going to come back down, right? Okay, at some point, you know, we'll get old and die, and no one's going to care about this shit, and it'll be sold off for pennies. All right. Um, but not, in, it's hardening at all. In terms of TurboGrafx stuff... I actually wonder if U.S. TurboGrafx games will come down at any point in the near future. And I think about that because... Okay, the NES, for instance, was hugely popular. Everyone's, you know, bought stuff for it. It's a big collection. Takes up a lot of space. If people look at getting rid of something... They might look at the NES collection and say, Okay, I can get rid of the NES collection. It's taking up a lot of space. Two shelves! Etc. Etc. Keep talking. And um, at least I know personally for me, mentally, if I start to dismantle a collection, uh, it's easier for that collection to fall apart and to go entirely. Turbo Graphics is such a small collection that it's right there. Yeah, it's not big. In terms of unless it was for money reasons. And that's not a massive sell-off. That that wouldn't. Well, that if, you, would, if, well you, if you have full turbo set, that's pricey. No, I just mean it's that doesn't it doesn't indicate a massive amount of people selling it off. Um, oh, I don't I don't see a lot of people just getting rid of a turbo set because they need to get out of the game necessarily. It's to me, it doesn't seem like it would be the first set. Doesn't seem like the first set that 
people would get rid of. I feel like if you're getting out of game collecting because it's taking up too much space or something like that, you would start with a larger collection. Turbo is something that, depending on how you collect it, how big of a collector you are, you could lose Turbo in the corner of your of your collection. Yeah, that's, like the, you whole, have that's here. the whole set. So if people okay. aren't getting rid of it, Plus whether because they really like it or because they're just not thinking about getting rid of it, uh, and there's not a ton of Turbo stuff out there, I, I could see Turbo stuff holding its price for a while. Also, the fans of Turbo... I, it, Turbo wasn't... Turbo wasn't exceptionally cheap in the first place. It wasn't super expensive, but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't NES cheap. Mm, half the library was under twenty bucks at one point. The expensive uh, stuff was always pretty expensive. Yeah, but there, but when you're talking expensive, you're talking fifty dollars. I mean, there wasn't a lot of hundred dollar plus games. There was there was maybe ten. I mean, there wasn't a huge amount. Uh, back then, um, I mean, I'm talking, could... I'm talking pre 2010, when people didn't know that it existed. Uh, for the most part, they only they sold less than two million in the U.S. I didn't know that. Thought they did a little better. They did, did 3.9 in Japan. They did 1.9 in the U.S. Hmm. So you're not talking about a big base to begin with, but once people have it, like Ian says, like, oh, this is cool. It's small. They're cute little who cards. Yeah, especially if people aren't going for like complete, like with the cases and stuff. I mean, you can fit an entire. Even with CD, you could fit an entire Turbo collection in two zip-up books. Oh, just, I mean, if you actually took them yeah. out of the package. Yeah, it's so small. It's such a small, it's 100, in the U.S. it's 130, what is it, 136 games. So it's not It's not a lot. Um, they're cute. I think they have, the fact that there's not millions and millions of these games, like what they had with like NES titles and Genesis titles, Super Nintendo titles, I think that's going to keep the price up more. Yeah. Um. But you don't know. Like anything else, it could it could turn into a, a very, very, very it could, it, hell. It can be it can be like the Fairchild Channel F in, in forty years. Who knows? You don't know. You know, the, the Fairchild Channel F was like, it's like the equivalent to that to the Atari twenty six hundred back then. It's like you don't know. Right. But the Fairchild F never had a market. No one ever. There was just, a market. It just wasn't. It wasn't no one here. ever hell. decided that the fair. No. No one ever ran the Fairchild Channel F up. The Man of Box Odyssey sold a decent amount. Uh, back in the early 70s, yes, the mid-70s. But there was also never a collecting market that ran it up. I'm saying oh. now that this has been run up... and we'll they're, come back they're, down. I don't think... I'm going to run up the Fairchild Channel left market. All right. I'm going to run up those ugly-ass yellow carts. I still can't believe I ever found a few of those at the swap meet. All right. Weirdo. All right. That's not why I'm weird. There's other reasons. They're much more prolific. Okay. That's it for this CU podcast. Again, we're going to be at the uh, Game, Game on, on Expo. Game on Expo. In the the 10th through the 12th. Of August. Game on Expo. AZ.com. AZ.com. <laughs> he said he did. What did you say? Um, and, and then uh, I'm going to be... I'm going. I'm doing a... Bring me beer. That's my birthday weekend. Bring you beer. Yeah. That's your... You said it's just like a little petulant four-year-old. That's my birthday weekend. Yeah. I'll buy you a, I'll buy you a meal. It's going to be... It's going to be hot. Um, and then I'm going to be returning to a video game con in New Jersey and also Retro World Expo in September and probably also Retro Balooza. So that's a, that's a heavy month. And then we got to probably within a month or two announce the date of the NES Marathon for this year, which I have a date in mind. I'm going to talk to Ian right afterwards. I forgot about it. And Ian's already said I'm done. I'm not. So, I'm just moving this out of my face. Yeah, why don't you, why don't my you, face. You complain about me chewing. You, hitting the mic constantly isn't good for people's ears as well. Uh, so that's Ian Ferguson. He's tired. I'm Pat Contry. Uh, 
We're going to see you later as Ian does his Superman pose, whatever that is. That's, that was a stretch. Go, go enjoy your Pikachu butt plugs, everyone. Pikachu.